Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle, and this is Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. Uh, The idea of this podcast is that Trevor and I uh, go back and forth each week and um, have uh, have one of us watch a movie the other one hasn't seen. Um, and actually, this month is a little different. Um, we're doing a catching up on most recent, uh, most recent movie in a franchise. Uh, this week is Alien Covenant. Um, I don't know why we're covering the most recent, um, most recent film in a franchise, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you you wanted a theme, and I had to kind of emergency post a, an episode we did months ago about halloween 2018 yeah and uh you know it i threw something together and we're just running with it so <laughs> yeah yeah there's no real reason i guess it just uh, seemed like a fun idea for the for the month it works yeah it, it's a thing we're doing a thing uh, and, and we also kind of did it for uh for the new godzilla movie which uh should have been posted by now uh, by the time you're listening to this oh yeah Go back and listen to it if you haven't already. Yeah, I think that's going to be a fun one. might be a little long, but uh, I think it'll be kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so, Alien Covenant, uh, which came out in 2017, directed by Sir Ridley Scott, I believe. I believe he was knighted at some point. Probably. Um, this is a movie that I think you and I have gone back and forth, like, wanting to talk about pretty much since we started doing podcasts. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's... A, it's kind of a contentious point because I actually dislike this film on many levels. However, there are certain aspects to it, like certain sequences in particular that it, like, holy fucking shit. I'm, I'm glad they exist. Even, even if the movie as a whole isn't good, um, they needed to, they needed to be shot and edited and put into some story. So I, I'm, I'm glad we got them. Um, but yeah, alien covenant is the most recent, entry in the alien franchise uh which is starting to get a little complicated now that we have the like prometheus sub-series of prequel films so this is the latest alien film which takes place before all the other alien films and is a sequel to prometheus uh, which came out in 2012 and again uh you and i seem to have differing opinions on um so Kyle, why why is it that you selected Alien Covenant for for this month in particular? Well, for one thing, we are planning to do a masterclass of the Alien films, and I thought that Alien Covenant and Prometheus are more or less prequels to those uh, Alien movies, and I didn't think it would be a good idea to include them into the masterclass. Um, so I wanted to at least get it get some time to talk about it. Um, I know that you're not a fan of Prometheus. I, of course, am. Uh, but I also wanted to revisit this movie because I've heard a few people say that they actually really like this movie. And I there are people that I respect their opinions on movies. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I just went in expecting too much with this movie the first time. And I was just... I, w- I wasn't impressed by it the first time. Um, I really enjoyed the ending to this movie. I definitely had some, like, what the fuck is that about uh, moments watching this the first time. And again this time. <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely sure what the flute's about. Maybe Ooh. maybe Ooh. Ridley Scott touches on that. Maybe you have some kind of insight that I didn't get from the uh, director's commentary. Um, but yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted a reason to revisit this. And it, it's the most recent film in the uh, Alien technically the alien series and uh, and we're not entirely sure if we're going to get a third one i kind of want to though um i've heard reports as as recent as may of this year saying directly from ridley scott's mouth that a script is in the works um 
I think a big part of the issue is that uh, the Alien series is, of course, a 20th Century Fox uh, mm. franchise, um, and they were recently acquired by Disney. Uh, so all of those franchises, all the Fox series and stuff, it was kind of up in the air for a few minutes there as to whether they'd be continued or not. Um, I think the the House of Mouse gave the uh, <laughs> gave the okay, gave the green light though. So uh, I think that's probably what kept things from uh, advancing more quickly but uh, before we get started talking about this movie we should probably give a little background as to our uh, respective relationships to this franchise oh okay the very first podcast you and i did was a predator masterclass wherein Correct. we talked about the entire <laughs> predator films franchise including the avp films uh so unfortunately we probably won't be going over those again no um but i think it i think it goes without saying that you and I are kind of invested in the alien films. <laughs> very much, very much. Um, I would say that I actually text my brother when I was re-watching Alien the other night. Um, I asked him, I'm like, is it okay that I think that Alien and 2001 A Space Odyssey are better than Star Wars? He goes, it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm like, damn, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I really enjoy these movies. I kind of a thing with my dad and my grandpa they're both sci-fi by sci-fi fans uh my grandfather we watched all th- at least three of these movies i don't think we watched the fourth one with him we watched all three of these movies with him uh he was an avid stargate fan um he yeah he watched the tv series uh wow stargate. one and atlantis uh he, <laughs> he passed away in 2007 i'm not sure how far he got i, I uh, think he probably got some atlantis in then <laughs> uh, and my dad i actually watched uh i was flipping through the channels with my dad and he's like oh wrath of khan you've ever seen that and i'm like actually no i haven't <laughs> like, have you he's like oh yeah it's good so uh I, I don't know if i'm just genetically predisposed to enjoy sci-fi films but these movies i really really like and i've seen I'd say quite often. Uh, at least once a year I see the first three movies. Well, I think, I mean, the Alien franchise is, like, maybe one of the most important for me growing up. Like, I I got, I think, a, a VHS copy of the first one when I was, like, 12. Ooh. And, the, and Aliens was actually, I think, that or T2, both James Cameron films, mm. um... It was one or the other was the very first R-rated movie I ever got to watch. And holy shit, I latched onto Aliens. Like, that was my movie. Like, I was obsessed with everything about it. And part of the beauty of the Alien series is that I don't know that we've ever actually gotten an outright bad movie. Except maybe the AVP movies, but even I enjoy those on some level. The second I mean, one, yeah. <laughs> for, on a, you know, from a, from a critical standpoint, like from an artistic standpoint, yeah. They're, they're kind of garbage, but yeah. like the Alien series proper, I don't think there's actually a straight up bad one. No, um, and and they do some cle- they do some clever stuff with it where it, it kind of makes me think of the Mission Impossible series, uh, which of course came much later. But what I mean by that is that a lot of the Alien movies are drastically different from iteration to iteration. Like yeah. the first movie is not at all like the second. The second one's not at all like the third. The third's not at all like the fourth, and so on and so forth. And that's rare like well, a lot of times you when you have a, a money-making franchise or something you just kind of do the same shit over and over and over again well you have at least three iconic directors for the first for the first three I'm, i can't remember who the french guy i can't remember the french guy that directed the fourth one um oh i forget his name but yeah uh we've had accomplished directors for all of them except again avp movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, uh, I've been watching these movies since I've been watching movies, basically, and it's been really amazing getting to see how they unfold. But this one, uh, I don't have an exact ranking in my head, but I think I would put it probably somewhere in the middle. Um, it's not bad, but I think the the pressure is on when you're dealing with a, a massive production like this in 2017. Like, I feel like if the expectations weren't there, I probably would have enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. And that's actually my biggest issue with the movie is that in a lot of ways it feels like it probably just shouldn't have been an alien movie. Like, if you had just changed the title and changed the creature design or something, you may you may have ended up with a movie I really liked. Well, it's it it's a pre like we don't need these movies. You don't need to do a prequel yeah, to yeah, the alien movies. Yeah, it's very true. That's very true. We didn't need to know where these things came from. It's fine if, that they just. I think that Ridley Scott. Uh, I believe he directed Prometheus. If I know, he definitely pre- he did. He was yeah. He pre- he directed Prometheus. It's interesting. He wanted to touch. He wanted to touch on how these things came to be, but I think he was wanting to tackle more philosophical uh, ideas in these movies. In this one, it's amplified. Yeah. by several well, degrees to the point that you can tell he just wants to talk about David. Like, yeah, he just wants to talk. It, this about is David's him. movie. Yeah, that's <laughs> this is the, David's movie. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about the alien of this one. I think it was probably like a studio mandate or something where it's like we can't sell the script unless you put the fucking alien in it with the you know the corona head and everything because people feels, know that image and we're dumping two hundred million dollars into this. Something about this made me. It felt like Hannibal to me. Um, there's just something about like the little bits of art, like um, poems here and there. Like he, he quotes some poetry. The the use of music in here. I don't know if you were well, in the eccentric, well-spoken sociopathic villain. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I see it. <laughs> I mean, it's the same director, so I see it. And I think this one, we t- we're focusing a little bit more on that. Than, that's what I'm saying. Like with Hannibal, Hannibal had Hannibal has style, and it's not a super violent movie, and it doesn't really have any real tension building like Silence of the Lambs does uh, I mean if you're working with those characters um, but it's still it's still a, I still enjoy watching it and I think that's what I'm having with this movie as well it's like there's not I mean there's definitely some fucking action in this more so than Prometheus um, oh, we, yeah. Yeah. there's some gore um, but yeah I think I think I why I like Hannibal is kind of why re-watching this I enjoyed it a lot more I feel like yeah, I think there was just enough in there for me well, I mean, put it this way. I I have said multiple times already, like as we've been talking, that this, this isn't a movie I particularly enjoy. I've watched it at least four times. Yeah. <laughs> um, once uh, the first time, second time to give it a second shot, and then I watched it with the director's commentary in the hopes that that would change my opinion of it because I really, really, really want to like it. Uh, and then one more time to prepare for this. Uh, so at the very least it's watchable (laughs) now i have seen prometheus about as many times as you've seen alien covenant because i really except you like prometheus i actually really enjoy prometheus (laughs) i'm apparently masochistic or something i don't know well i guess maybe since it's ridley scott and i i love that first alien movie it's my it's my a new hope like that's the one i i can just watch and i just adore i love everything about it I love the characters. I love the set design. I like how the the villain is revealed. It's just as good tension. Um, I love Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and we actually there's something interesting that we do with the characters in this movie. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get to the character development. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, get to it. But yeah, so uh, I'll just give a rundown real quick. Um, sure. This movie is actually a 
prequel to Aliens, but a sequel to Prometheus. Um, if you haven't seen Prometheus, basically a group of uh, a group of people go out into the middle of nowhere looking for a distant star. They're trying to find um, the meaning of life and whatever. Uh, they find that basically the alien virus and essentially wipes out the entire crew. And what's left is this android who was made by G- evil Guy Pierce. But this android is, I guess, the is the model in which other androids were based off of. But this one in particular, he made special to think and reason. Which, as you know from any movie re- <laughs> with artificial intelligence, if it becomes, I guess, sentient, if it becomes um, self-aware and starts thinking for itself, it's a hundred percent going to be evil. That's just what I've been oh, communicated yeah. in TV, TV movies. But no, you you just don't do it. <laughs> um, uh, Numi Rapace uh, yeah. survives with David, who is Michael Fassbender, and uh, they get off the they get off the planet essentially. And we cut to this movie, Alien Covenant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so our film opens with a beautiful white room with some. Uh, antiquities sprinkled throughout including the statue of david uh overlooking a beautiful landscape and uh our our credits start to open over it very slowly and it's this wonderful like three to four minute long scene where it's just a conversation between uh peter wayland played by guy pierce who is hinting at being evil at this point but he hasn't gone full evil just yet if you see guy pierce in a movie he's evil I really like Guy Pierce. He's like Oh, I do too. He he's really unique in the sense that like he he has the look of a leading man, but he's actually like deep down just a character actor. Like he likes doing crazy shit. Yeah. And he's great at it. Actually, I had the dogs watch the Count of Monte Cristo today while I was at uh I was at work. That's what they got to enjoy. Um who's that Welsh actor? He always plays a bad guy. Uh he's uh he was the brother in Little Nicky, the English brother. Um, he's oh, in a Reese of Fonz. There we go. He's another yeah. guy. If you see him, like that's your villain. One hundred percent. Oh, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. He's your villain. <laughs> <laughs> he got that super devil juice. <laughs> oh man. But, Sorry. Yeah, I was I was excited for a minute, like when he was cast in uh, Amazing Spider-Man as the Lizard, and then that movie's just total shit. Oh, I didn't watch either like, one of those. It, good for you. Good for you. It's terrible. Both of them. Um, anyway, uh, this conversation, actually, I think our first shot is uh, Michael Fassbender's beautiful baby blues opening directly into the camera. Mm. Uh, I guess this is him being activated for the first time, maybe. And uh, Guy Pierce and him. Yeah, he and Guy Pierce are having a conversation. And it's about, like, basically creation. About, like, the mystery of where we came from and why we exist. And uh, there's some really heady stuff that, that gets passed and forth between the two of them. And what makes this this dialogue really work, though, is the performance of Fassbender in particular. Because um, he gets some lines in here that are delivered in just the right way, where it's like, oh, shit, inside of three minutes, like I already know what this character's deal is and why he's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, like, towards the end of the conversation, I forget like the exact wording of it, but he, he basically... like. He's- Wayland tells him, like, God created me and I created you. And Fassbender throws it back at him, like, oh, so you created me and you'll die in about 70 years, whereas I'll keep living. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, so I'm, you created me and I'm your superior. And like, then he, sin- it, 
from the moment I woke up, I was better than you. And the, yeah. the, the tea thing was fucking great. Yeah, he's just like, now you're the help, bitch. He's like, pour yeah. me some tea. Yeah, what, as, as like, I don't know, as straight-laced and, and like calm and powerful as Mr. Wayland appears, like, even he is taken down a peg in this instance and yeah. he turns into a catty fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> He's he like, is, pour my tea. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. He just he just made a multi-billionaire um, humble. <laughs> like, that's yeah, not he an humbled, easy thing to do. He humbled him inside of three minutes. Like, <laughs> inside just of being sink. alive. <laughs> yeah, he's been alive for three minutes and he's already shitting all over him. And, and he, there's no retort to that. It's like, no, you're, he's right. I did create this artificial being who is already more a superior being to me. And yes, the, this of course is this is happening before the movie Prometheus. This was we can yeah. we, uh, this is before that. We cut to um but tw- 2122 something like that. I think is the year. Um we get the colonization vessel uh Covenant. It's got 2000 colonists on board as well as um a bunch of embryos as well. And we have a crew of about eight people, eight to ten people. Uh, we mm-hmm. have like four couples. Th- this is problematic, okay? Uh, I know he. Yeah. yeah. I know he he did this to make it make it a bit more. You can you can justify dumb decisions in movies by having you you take away logic when you put somebody who's a, like a, a partner. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to do something stupid. So I get what he was doing, but this is downright careless to have on a huge vessel like this. It's a strange theme, because, <clears throat> yeah, uh, the majority of the crew are paired up. Like, it's husbands and wives. I didn't see any gay couples. Um, but, yeah, it's husbands and wives. Um, and, yeah, you would think that that would lead to complications of some sort. Um, see, something like this would make more sense to me if uh, it takes place in 2104. So you're, you're right there. close. But um, I think, like, if the story took place further in the future... Where like maybe space travel is less of a big deal, maybe then that would make some more sense. But we, this is fucking space travel. It's yeah. only a hundred years from now. We or not even that. <laughs> it's like you you need to run a the tightest of fucking ships to do anything. And having husbands and wives running around with emotional tension going around that's not well, safe. They're not supposed to be that. Here's the one that I'll. I'll I'll defend him now. I'll defend Ridley Scott. You're not. They're not supposed to be awake. They're awakened early, and that's what. That's where the problem comes from. Is they're not even supposed to be awake until they actually get there. So that I sure, understand sure. a little bit. And they're only supposed to be on the ship for a certain amount of time awake before they get there. Um, sure. But uh, we do get. Um, we get the new David, except he's uh, Walter and. He's doing. Uh, he's doing his counselor voice. The, he's doing the same thing. There's something yeah, weird. He, Fastbender's American accent's just odd. He, the way I describe it in my head is he sounds like a very skinny person trying to sound like a fat person. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. <laughs> what do you what do you say? Like yeah, he, he just he's, it, he's like putting a bubble around all of his yeah. words. I don't know why he's doing that. Uh, I think I think it's to create a a 
easily referenced difference between him and David, who will appear later in the film. Because mm. their speech patterns are radically different, so it's pretty easy to identify birthday. the two of them, even when they're on screen together. I think, well, he, I remember in The Counselor, when he's talking to the lady after shit hits the fan, he's asking for her cell phone. He's like, you mind if I use your cell phone? It's my daughter's birthday. Like, I remember he's, yeah. I remember birthday. his birthday. I remember he's, like, really <laughs> making sure he hits that R. And he's doing the same thing here. Um, I mean, accents are hard, especially when you have one of those weird ones that's like, what, Irish-German? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. What even is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. But um, it needs to be said, the the first shot we get of the Covenant is a reference to the original Alien film, although sped up by like ten times the speed. And that's actually one of my biggest issues with this movie, is it's too damn fast. Because what Alien in... 1979 did was was it took its time yeah like it, it knew how to make scenes tense the editing was not snappy it was it was very breezy in a lot of ways this one it's like bang 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 so what i mean by reference is is actually it's like a replication of the original of the original film's opening where it's like a just a space exterior and you see this little dot traveling through space and then very slowly the the title appears in this one, it's like title. <laughs> it's like it's it, it it's in such a hurry to get it done that it just does it real quick. But well, do you think there's a Ridley Scott director's cut? I mean, do you think uh, he's? Is no, there, I don't you think s- we're getting one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox is actually one of those studios that is known to uh, put out special editions of their discs. Uh, where they do the double dip, where they put out the standard theatrical and then like four or five months later, it's like, oh hey, here's the good version. <laughs> Like, they did that with uh, the Wolverine and, I think, Deadpool 2. And uh, this one, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, uh, I just, Ridley Scott said there were, there were like, 20 minutes removed from yeah. his original cut, but I don't think that's substantial enough to warrant another disc. No, but I, I'm thinking if you wanted a little bit longer, if you wanted things unpacked a little bit more. I mean, fucking Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is over three hours long. Like, and it's I've heard cr- it's much, much better. Exactly. Like that, that's what I'm saying. Like if there's a if there's a director's cut of this movie, then it's probably better. I would I would <sighs> say it's longer, but it's probably it probably adds a few things that would make you happier. I mean, for me personally, it would have been nice if you know the xenomorph was introduced with a little more than a half hour to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's neither here nor there. But. Yeah, uh, Walter is our caretaker for the ship. He's a synthetic person. Um, we get some lovely exteriors of him deploying the solar sails uh, to recharge mm-hmm. the ship, which is beautiful. It needs yeah. to be said that the ship design is is classic Ridley Scott stuff. It's it's very much in line with like not not two thousand one level, but the idea here is fu- is function over form. Yeah. So it's like everything is aesthetically pleasing, but that's clearly not the first principle applied to the design of it where it's mm-hmm. like no this sh- this shit needs work and the ship the covenant ship does look like it's just intended to do a job not look pretty um which i i admire you know that's a design that's a design choice you don't see all the time especially in you know big tentpole films and stuff uh but as walter is uh doing his rounds on the ship um i think he finds a busted embryo which is unfortunate for that embryo um we get a neutrino burst, which apparently happens so quickly and so suddenly that there is no way to predict it. It's just a random act of cosmic chaos that, you know, you can't really prepare for. All you can do is hope that you survive it. 
and uh, it damages the ship. And we get some chaotic shit wherein uh, alarms are going off, the solar sails are damaged, uh, and our crew is forced to come out of hypersleep a little early. Yeah, and we kind of we kind of gloss over like when when they come out of hypersleep, we don't. It's not really touched on in the first one as much, but we definitely get it in Prometheus about like it's awful. Like it takes you a bit to get out of this. Like they're puking up and like really really tired. They snap out of it in this movie. Yeah, I mean, we get to see a couple shots of people puking and getting the bends and stuff. But, but I mean, um, it's like really day two the of the flu when you wake up. Yeah, I love how they did it in the first one, where it, it it looked like the way they edited it, like with lots of crossfades and stuff. Yeah, it looked like it took an hour just to get out of the thing, because you get to see John Hurt just like hunched over and like running his fingers through his hair and just like, Bleh. yeah, <laughs> like look, looking like boiled crap. And yeah, it has a breezy editing style to it that's like, wow, they just went through an ordeal just to fucking wake up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, it's like we cut to the, the crew chambers and like there's fires going and people are like banging on glass and, and sh- capsules are opening left and right. It's really chaotic and loud. And then we get to meet who, the gal who I guess will become our main character a little later. She's our Ridley. Cat Cat Waterston. Oh, Ripley. Uh. <laughs> Uh, Ripley, yeah, sorry. Uh, Daniels May- is her name. Can I ask, what have you seen this gal in? Uh, oh, she's Martin. in several things. Uh, she is in Logan Lucky. Uh, she, has a, she has a minor role in that movie. Uh, she's really big in the Fantastic Beasts movie. That's that's oh. her that's her bread and butter. And you, honest okay. to God, her haircut in this movie and Logan Lucky, I don't know why she goes with that haircut. Because uh, she has longer hair in the, the Fantastic Beast, it looks like a completely different person. Like she looks like Brie Larson in the Fantastic Beast movie, and here she looks like a forty-year-old oh, woman. Shit. <laughs> she's a. See, like, I think the only things, I think the only things I've seen her in were uh, Logan Lucky and uh, Michael Clayton. Maybe I that was seen that. like maybe her earliest role. But yeah, I have not really seen her in anything. But <laughs> she's doing I'm stuff. Sorry. The, she seems like a very capable actress, but I'm sorry this this whole time, like with that haircut in in this film, yeah. all I could see was Juliette Lewis. It's distracting. <laughs> it's <laughs> the haircut is distracting. I don't know why she's so she's she's a very lovely lady, and I personally think she looks great with the long hair. The short hair, it's fine if she wants to go short hair. It's just the style. I have no problem with short hair. It's just it, her it's style weird. of haircut. It's, it's just a weird like, mushroom haircut. It's and yeah, very, all it, I could see was Julia Almost Lewis. a bowl cut. It's Yeah, it, yeah it's almost a bowl cut. Um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, uh, Ridley Scott uh, decides to burn James Franco alive. Thank you for keeping <laughs> him out of this movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Uh, yeah, you don't know it's James Franco. It's just some dude with a, some dumb facial hair, uh, and he's not waking up out of his containment thing or his little hypersleep thing, and he catches on fire. Uh, oh, yeah. And um, Daniels is freaking out. Like, they're trying to hold her back, but she's running over there. I'm like, hold her back. This dude's burning alive. This is not something you want. I don't want to see my significant other burn alive. That's not That's mm-hmm. not the last memory I want of them, but like, they're, <laughs> they're not going to save him. They can't get it open. He, he doesn't make it. Um which, um, which, this was her boo, this was her boyfriend or husband, and Billy Crudup is now going to be in charge, which is not what you want. Yeah, uh, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. <laughs> and um, I like Billy Crudup. Yeah, 
I do too. I think he's a very capable actor. His personal life aside, <laughs> I, I think if you put him in the right roles and he has confidence in you as a director, he can give you some great shit. Um, he's good in this. I mean, I don't like his character, but he's good as this character. He's good. The script is bad. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Um, they hammer home his faith a bit too frequently. It's like yeah, I they, fucking get it. They they mention it one time, but like he he mentions no, it like they mention past- it six times. Kyle, I don't remember them. Touching he calls on. he calls attention to it like six different times. He quotes a lot of scripture and stuff. Does he? I wasn't yeah, listening to even, him. Talk. He even refers to his fucking crew as his flock. You've seen this more than I have, so I've seen it four fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know what you're he, talking about. He his character hammers the point home too many times to the point that it's like it robs him of dimensionality or is that a word i don't know dimensionality but, um, sure uh sure we'll go with that <laughs> basically what i'm trying to say is if you had made it more subtle uh, the character would have been maybe more relatable but now he's now he's very clearly there just to be that guy with the faith I think I, he's he's drawing too much attention to it, basically. Well, I think maybe Ridley Scott's trying to touch on something, uh, maybe some social issues or his own. Well, it's a theme that it's like in so many of his films. I mean, the guy fucking directed Exodus. Like, he, he clearly, clearly, you know, Christianity, like faith and that kind of shit. Like, he, just religion in general seems to be something that is a topic he likes to talk about. And he well, that's why I th- definitely brought it I th- into this and Prometheus especially. That's why I that's why I think I liked about Prometheus was that that's what the movie's about is is about yeah. like what happens when we find out who's our who our maker. Oh, it's just some more people. Like, well, fuck. Well, but see, that's the problem is that for Prometheus, yeah, that made perfect sense. That's yeah. the thesis of the film. This one though, it's just extra shit that is just confusing me and, yeah. and making my analytical brain like ping about things that actually don't matter at all. Yeah. It's just small details. They're just there for no reason. Well, um, Billy Crudup is not looking forward to being the leader, and he has a he has a moment with his significant other. Her name is Carmen. I don't know how to say her last name. Ijogo. Um, she's in this latest season of True Detective. I really liked her on there. Uh, she's in some other... I think she's she might be in Fantastic Beasts as well, as a, as a matter of fact. I think she's oh, in there. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we get right off the bat, like, he's nervous. You can tell he's kind of, he's nervous, and he's like, I guess I'm in command. He's You can tell he's not really looking forward to it. Um, but he actually, did you notice his shaky voice when he's addressing addressing everybody? Like, it, it's yeah, like me his, trying to... Uh, his eye line in particular is interesting, because he's kind of, he doesn't know where to look or where to put his hands. He's very clearly just not nervous speaking in front of crowds to begin with, but now it's like people are dead. And I'm supposed to be the guy who's in charge, and this is really weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, just before this meeting scene, we get uh, we get Daniel's mourning in her quarters. Uh, she has like all of her like totems, all the things I guess that would remind her of her her dead James Franco, laid out on the bed. Uh, she has an iP- iPad that's yeah. it's totally not an iPad. It's, it's just a iPad. tablet. <laughs> Um, she's watching a video of, of James Franco, I guess maybe the last video footage she has of him where he's, of course he's a fucking rock climber yeah, <laughs> like, right. with, with that facial hair and that derpy smile. Of course he's a rock climber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's basically just him saying, wish you were here. I love you. And her acting in the scene is quite good. Um, she is just emotionally crushed and in tears. And then she takes out a Jesus nail and 
makes a necklace out of it. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. I don't I don't know if that was his thing or if it's her thing, uh, or it's like you know her her falling back on her faith. It's never explicitly stated either way. But the point is, she pulls a nail out of his things uh, and makes a necklace and wears it. And it comes in handy a little later, but not really. Well, there was... <laughs> but not really. <laughs> uh, apparently, James Franco's, uh, his character arc, he was cut out a little bit. They cut some stuff out, and it had to do mostly with him. So I think we might have missed something with the the little nail. And maybe they're just like, eh, it's a minor enough thing. People aren't going to ask a lot of questions. So there might have been something. Yeah. Like I said, it's small details that I noticed, but they didn't do anything with. And yeah. they made the mistake of devoting entire shots to it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, think, yeah, yeah, Billy Crudup is kind of a dick here. Uh, he basically says, hey, so people died, um, including including the people who are still cryogenically frozen, um, and we got to move on. And everybody in the crew, uh, which includes Danny McBride, yeah. who is probably the reason James Franco was in this film, Correct. Uh, I'd imagine, uh, as a character named Tennessee, uh, he's probably the most straight up enjoyable character in the film because of course he's Danny McBride. It's Danny McBride. In, he's in always in space. <laughs> he's always going to be the most enjoyable character if you put him in something. Of course. <laughs> it goes without saying. But yeah, he uh he points out the fact that hey, uh some people died and we need to fucking acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, but Billy Crudup says, "No, we're going to power on ahead. We got too much shit to do, so we're going to fix the solar sail and uh repower the ship run diagnostics and get to work and everybody's like you know the lady in the back there that's in fucking tears her husband just burned alive in front of her Maybe i'm with we billy should talk about it i'm with billy crudup on this and it's why i liked um chris pine not chris pine what's the other chris captain america chris evans oh, evans in that movie uh sunshine uh, he's like the he's the legit dick he's the one who's like this is what needs to happen like he's just like it doesn't fucking well, matter what you need that dick yeah like it, honestly to get certain things done you do need that guy yeah. and in this case yeah you're not wrong because the ship is damaged uh, we, they rely very heavily on it on a computer system called mother oh uh, it's magic yeah <laughs> yeah it, it is robot it robot computer magic mm -hmm. um so if that computer is damaged in some way uh they're doomed so i i get the sense of urgency it's just uh, the the could, way that's framed. He's he's meant to look like an asshole here. Does he acknowledge them? I know they're like we we have like hey, there's a dead like we have somebody who's dead. We need to take care of that. Is he he's like yeah, let's take care of stuff first, and then we will have a proper thing for him. No. Maybe he, he just does that. They, that's why. That's all he needed to do. He's like listen. Yeah. I know everybody's sad. Let's get shit done, and then we will we will do something before we go back into cry, into uh, hypersleep or whatever. But yeah, he doesn't, no, he doesn't acknowledge it at all. He just kind of powers past it. But I did love his little exchange with uh, Walter here. Uh, <laughs> where it, again, it's very catty. <laughs> where coming coming from an artificial person, it's very catty. Where uh, Billy Crudup asks him a question, and he ends it with with a question, basically with yes. Like he states a fact and then says yes, and then Walter Walter pauses for a second and says. Is that a question? That a question? <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, Walter. It's a question. Well, his, his character I mean, does not. In, like, I don't want. Like, if you wake up and you're just handed a crisis, like you're like. Wake up! Fuck! That shit's hit the fan. He's he's not off to a good start, and he wasn't expecting to be in charge. Like he wasn't expecting to have to make these decisions, and it's clear that he's not quite ready to make these decisions. Oh, no, um, 
not near. So yeah, I can understand how he's just like he's he's not addressing the crew the way a leader would be. A leader should be. Um, honestly, what's her face? Uh, Daniels ends up taking charge eventually. I feel like they should have just after she was through mourning for James Franco for twenty four hours, let her take control. Cause she, yeah, thank she, you for pointing that out because her uh, her character arc, I take a, some issues with. Uh, she makes a big one eighty. That's like where the fuck did that come from because like, she just she just becomes the badass it doesn't really yeah. feel natural um but speaking of which uh, she's not badass yet though so her first task uh she takes it upon her takes it on herself to uh head to the terraforming bay because a bunch of engineering equipment has sprung loose it needs to be shackled to the floor and uh, walter goes with her and they do some work in there, and then she talks at him. She does. She does a little therapy session with Walter. Yeah, uh, where she just spills her guts about all the the feelings that she's feeling right now, and how she's devastated and feeling lost, and doesn't know what to do. Because the only reason she's apparently on this ship is because, of course, James Franco, the bearded rock climber, wants to build a cabin by a lake, a galaxy away from her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And it's like that. Yeah, that seems like the kind of guy who would think that's the coolest fucking thing ever. I would do but it yeah, too. She apparently was just along for the ride, uh, and now she doesn't know what to do because his enthusiasm, I guess, was what got her to do it. And Walter comforts her a little bit. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I think this is uh, when Tennessee heads out to do his spacewalk to repair the. Uh, first, uh, no. First, what we do is they. Def- um, uh, Billy Crudup's upset because they're doing a funeral, little funeral thing for uh, James Franco, and he's like, they, he's kind of like just listening, like kind of having his own little moment with grieving, but he also snaps back to like they debate, they disobeyed a direct order, like I told them to do this first, and then we would get, then then we'd maybe do this later, and his wife is just like, listen, these are your, these are your neighbors, these are gonna be people that you're gonna be spending the rest of your life with, maybe you need to give him this moment. Like, don't don't be like this. And when we get there, like, you're probably not going to be as in charge anymore. Once we get things set up, like, it's not going to be the same anymore. But I had written down, like, of course Danny McBride's character brought liquor. And he also brought Jack Daniels, which Jack Daniels is... It's the top shelf of bottom shelf liquor. Like, are you figured... <laughs> he's he's probably got a better case of wit- liquor... A better case of whiskey back that he's got hidden. He's like, eh, I'm just going to give this... Give him the... Give him the regular shit. I'm going to save the good stuff for, for later. Um, hey, I mean, uh, cross-promotion cross and product placements are a thing. I mean, 2001 was covered in them. And uh, this, I guess we have Jack Daniels and the John Denver estate is probably pretty pleased. I'm fucking <laughs> tired of John Denver coming up in movies. This is ridiculous. This, what's her name? Um, Kat, uh, Kat Waterston. This is the second movie she's been in where this same... John Denver's song has come up. Um, I wonder if it comes up in Fantastic Beasts at some point. Jesus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they go out to uh, fix this solar flare, and you're expecting something bad. I was expecting something else bad to happen. Yeah, actually, I was kind of pleased that nothing bad happened. Right? It's it, just a spacewalk. Yeah, it's just a spacewalk. <laughs> they they fix this big uh, this big solar panel, and uh, Tennessee gets the weird helmet message, and yeah. it looks look like something bad's going to happen, but they, they go back in, and they're able to... Um, figure out kind of what's happening in the message. Yeah. Uh, so he gets some sort of message that has both audio and visual data, although it's all garbled. 
Like yeah. it, it looks it looks like something off of like an Atari or a, or a Pong game from the yeah. 70s. Uh, you can't make out any distinct images, and the audio is pretty fucked up. But yeah, the, uh, they replay the message through his helmet because I guess it recorded it or something, and all the crew are listening in on the audio and Tennessee Danny McBride kind of just starts humming to himself and he identifies the melody as John Denver yeah country, country road, road uh, which is very unusual to hear what thousands if not millions of light years off into space somewhere <laughs> yeah and and their their reasoning is right like what are the fucking odds that we're gonna hear this song this far out and this random like that it's astronomical like there's there's no way we would hear this and i thought originally that everybody agreed that they should go check this out it's only two people it's actually billy crudup and the girl that doesn't want to get back into her her thing she doesn't want to get back into cryo sleep so where, where the message came from is from uh, a hospitable planet and they're like this is actually roughly the same size, same atmosphere as the one that we're looking for. And they're like, well, the, the logic is like, well, we can go check it out. And if it, if it works out, like maybe we can just stay at this place. But um, Kat Watterson's character, um, Daniels, I got to keep calling her Daniels. Um, she's like, listen, we've spent decades trying to find this one hospitable planet where we can repopulate and, you know, continue the human race and she's like this seems like a bad idea like this is just gonna mess up everything and billy crump's like oh i'll be fine well it'll be good maybe he's like maybe it'll be better and i think he's kind of getting everybody like okay maybe it'll be better and we don't have to spend another seven years it's another seven years of our lives that we have to waste just getting to this other planet this is another aspect of his character uh touching on the faith stuff this is divine providence Um, this is him seeing something unfolding before him as you know a positive and just going for it because it's like oh yeah we're being provided for let's just go for it um and yeah i mean it, i i understand the logic of the crew not wanting to get back into the pods um that made a lot of sense to me because it's like yeah you know our, our captain just burned alive and that could happen again and, and there would be nothing we can do to stop it um but at the same time it's like it's space travel (laughs) margin for error is like zero (laughs) like like if you have a plan and and you've already burned the fuel or whatever towards that destination you gotta just go you gotta go for it yeah if you deviate from that you could be eternally fucked (laughs) oh um so i was look i looked up where the filming locations were um this is mostly new zealand and australia um, I think there's some soundstage stuff done in Australia, but most of the uh, the outside shots are is uh, New Zealand. I could see that. Yeah, I mean it's uh, but it's not it's, it's a ri- not, it's a really Scott film. It's very handsome. It yeah, that, that's to one bottom. thing. Even if you don't like his movies, they're still going to be great to look at. Oh yeah, no, he's. I think I said it before, like regarded as one of Hollywood's best shooters because uh, he has an eye. I also think that Billy Crudup's character just wants to land, so he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to have the stress of dealing with this anymore. Could honestly. be, <laughs> um, but the result of their conversation is uh, we're going to go to Planet Four, uh, named uh, for its distance from that system's sun, um, a- instead of Origai Six, which is the planet that apparently we, from day one, we're trying to get to. And the the planet that we had already done the specs for and know for a fact is hospitable. 
Uh, well, she says the odds are too high. She's like, the odds are too high for this to be a coincidence. Like, this is just, what did she say? She said, this is, like, too good to be true. Like, this isn't, this is too easy. Like, why did we miss it when we were looking for all these planets? How did we yeah. overlook it? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I mean, unfortunately, the answer to almost every question in this regard is space. <laughs> like, yeah. space is weird. <laughs> space is big. Um, but we, uh, we put together a team yep uh, we we have some military type people with the crew uh and this whole sequence this landing sequence is very reminiscent of aliens mm-hmm. uh, to the point that our sergeant even has a, is chomping a cigar <laughs> um i noticed that in a couple of shots uh, he's played by a uh, damian bashir who's a mexican actor who oh yeah I know he, to be he's in uh, the hateful i know Eight. him to be very yeah, I know him to be a very accomplished actor outside of most Hollywood productions. So it was interesting seeing him in such a tiny role, but uh, this is how business is done in Hollywood these days. You got to yeah. get asses in seats and casting people from, you know, beyond the American spectrum of actors and stuff is very important. Uh, he does pretty well in this, although he, unfortunately he doesn't have much to do. No, other like- than point out the fact that I know wheat. Um, yeah, there's a line he says that I don't know what the fuck that means, but he knows wheat. <laughs> yeah, so I've written down. So we've got guns and explosives, and they're like, mm-hmm. let's go explore. Um, also, they, they have uh, shoulder cameras too. Of course like they aliens. do. You have to. You have to at this. <laughs> and point. then they have stupid, uh, like circuit board, circuit board print on the brim of their hats. I didn't like, notice that. I actually really love the costuming and the des- like all the design work, all the engineering of all the props and stuff is amazing in this movie. It but felt those it, hats look so fucking dorky. <laughs> it looks like the costumes from Indoor and in Return of the Jedi. I, they, they kept have the it looks ears, just yeah. it looks just like it. Um, and plus they got kind of like poncho esque like mm-hmm. big big kind of uh, jackets on. Um, so Tennessee is still up in orbit as well as the um, the lovely couple. Uh, the, oh, yeah. They're, they're like, they're the hot couple. They're the like, hot <laughs> couple, yeah. I mean, uh, it's Jesse Smollett who is, of course, Hollywood blacklist now. Um, oh, he's not, yeah. He's not allowed to do anything anymore. No. And his <laughs> um, hot-ass and wife. And then Callie Hernandez. She, yeah, she did it for me. Um, yeah, it was working. And and yeah, it's just two really hot people and Danny McBride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danny McBride's boy. Uh, so Danny McBride's the pilot, and he's hanging up there with those two. And Danny McBride's wife, I believe, is some kind of medic. I'm not entirely sure what well, her, her deal is. Or she's a pilot. A, she's a pilot. Okay, I wasn't yeah, she sure. Pi- she pilots the landing craft, um, and then apparently she has some medical training on top of that. But yeah, she uh, Ferris is the character's name. I don't know the actress's name, um, but she pilots the landing craft and we get to do the uh we're coming in for some chop uh tough atmospheric penetration uh the weather's kind of not so great on the planet's surface we get some tense moments where everybody's kind of freaking out uh but then we land without a hitch and she does an amphibious landing on the planet again it's very beautiful new zealand-esque planet (laughs) with lots of lakes and forestry well it's something like um lord of the rings movies were all shot like New Zealand, like all the outside shots from New Zealand, but this still looks like a completely different movie. And uh, the, like the time of day that he chooses to shoot and the, the location, it doesn't feel like um, Peter Jackson's, you know, Lord of the Rings movies. It 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 feels foreign, like it feels different, uh, especially for yeah, an American audience. They do a good job of making it feel like an alien environment to some yeah. degree. A lot of it, I think, had to do with the color grading. Yeah, everything's everything's very dark. Yeah, it has like Seattle sky, but with 
New Zealand like plant life and stuff. Well, um, I was even watching. I'm like, this isn't the P and W. I'm like, I know the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, this isn't this isn't the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, what is this? I had to find out what it was. No, and good like, on you because I was curious too. Um, so yeah, they uh, they go in. You know, he he identifies the wheat, which is a huge red flag for me. If I'm like, okay, no humans, and we've got wheat here, I'm like, this is. This is, this is weird. I would be on high alert. Um, Kareen, Billy Crudup's wife, she decides she wants to go look at some plants. I guess she's a botanist of some kind or a biologist. And she stays that back with a beefcake with a gun. Um, he decides to go for a smoke. While the rest of the crew, uh, it's about, oh, about eight to ten people. It, quite a few people go out and go exploring. Um, they're basically going to go find where this beacon is, where this, uh, where this message came from. And even says, it's like, yeah, it's like 10 kilometers, and it looks like we're going to have to hike up. But we don't get any of that. We just get right to... Uh, yeah, it. like I said, the editing in this film is kind of jumpy at times. But this is my favorite part in the whole movie. And to me, this, what, 15-minute sequence? 10, 15-minute long oh, sequence. Oh, it's awesome. It justifies the existence of the film. Like, well, easily. My problem, I, I want to say that my, my only problem with this movie as far as the xenomorphs go is I don't like these little ones, but that's what I didn't like originally, and I didn't like the mm. big xenomorphs. I liked, I think they did a really good job with the big, the, the full-grown xenomorphs uh, as the movie progresses. These younger ones I don't really care for, but then I was thinking back to watching Alien, I'm like, man, when you get that first, that first chest burster, I mean, <laughs> it's literally a puppet just moving back and forth real quick, and then it... It's the only skitters. It's it 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 just glides right yeah. across the table. I'm like, okay, maybe we've I come a long way. We've <laughs> come a long way. Maybe I should give him a little bit of credit. This is a this is a difficult concept. Like these are unique creatures that they've made, and they have to bring them into CGI. And they didn't have the technology to figure out how they move. So maybe I just got to deal with it. And I, I I was a little more forgiving this time. Well, it's it's a it's Jaws logic. See, like part of the beauty of Jaws, both as a both Bruce the shark himself and the structure of the film itself, is that the technological limitations force them to be very selective as to when the shark would be on screen. Yeah. And it made for, it made for a, a more entertaining film because if you have a movie that's nothing but shark, you're going to get bored of it at some point, and it's not going to be scary anymore. And I think it's very much the same with any monster, where if you see him clear as day all the time you lose interest yeah um which is i think is the problem with alien resurrection in my in my opinion uh resurrection i think it it's a lot of it has to do with tone and uh the fact that the aliens are uh kind of similar to this film actually they're kind of pushed to to the background where it's there's other shit going on that's much more important to the plot than just the classic aliens like really all we're all we're focused on there is Ripley's personal conflict, Brad Dourif, and then the the newborn at the end of that movie. All the aliens in the in between are just kind of obstacles. They're they're not really they're not like the centerpiece of the film. Like you're, I don't think you're supposed to be scared of them at any point. In fact, um, but yeah, I wanna I wanna really go into detail here because this sequence from the moment uh, Ledward is the name of the soldier, the beefcake who is with Kareen. Um, from the moment he gets a little infection in his ear, uh, up until the, up until we meet Fassbender a second time, uh, excellent filmmaking, excellent chaotic filmmaking, like 
so we excellent <laughs> I, I, I cannot stress enough but um, while this chaos is what, happening we do have a big storm a coming so that that is that is the thing that we have looming is we have a storm coming and we're probably going to lose communication with the mothership but go yeah, ahead so we we very skillfully cross cut between three separate parties Correct. all with their own problems so we have kareen and ledward uh, and then we have the search group who are looking for the signal up in the mountains and then we have Danny McBride and the hot people up in orbit. Believable uh, spaceship driver Danny McBride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's a space trucker. Yeah, he's a space trucker. <laughs> yeah, just like the people in Aliens. Um, but yeah, the way things all get started is Ledward, like you said, he goes off to take a smoke slash piss. And I could not help but be reminded of Peter Stormare in The Lost World. <laughs> yeah, um, when, yeah. He, when he goes for a, a piss break. Um, so he goes off and then his foot falls next to something that looks kind of like a coconut with a little hole in the top. <laughs> These little spores. Yeah. 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 And uh, some some little like microscopic dust like little black powder like shoots off into the air out of these spores and then uh we get this really fascinating special effects shot of like cgi cloud of dust like whirling and twirling through his smoke rings and then like this really cool shot from inside his ear um and they do some neat sound editing here where you can like hear his heartbeat because you're inside his fucking head yeah and then we see this little this little black cloud embed itself in the skin inside his ear and actually just like go inside his head basically and uh then we cut away and then um it needs to be said like the the music in this sequence and in several sequences in this film is uh quite incredible because uh, we just play like this single tone that sounds like almost like a like a, a bell or a gong like a boom and it's like it's very ominous and it just drones endlessly for the next 10 minutes of the film and it gets under your skin uh, i actually don't know this composer his name is jed kurzel and uh he did this oh assassin's creed and macbeth so apparently he's done a lot of uh fast fast bender yeah yeah and the babadook and uh, overlord mm. uh, so i'm curious i might have to look up some of his stuff I still haven't seen Overlord, by the way. Baba Duke is awesome. It's one of my favorite contemporary horror movies, and Overlord sucks a dog's ass. Oh man! I was <laughs> I was so looking forward to that movie. It is very disappointing. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you don't get to do all this scene. You don't get to do this whole sequence, Trevor. Yeah, I, I get I, to I help. Was, I was setting the ball for you. <laughs> go, go, run with it. You can't take the best part of the movie. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> the guy gets ear dusted, and they find the architect's ship. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, while they're or while they're looking in the uh, architect's ship, another fella gets space dusted. Um, yeah. Kyle, for the folks at home, yeah. who are the architects? The architects are a group of giant mammal. They're they're giant humans basically, um, and they are from Prometheus, and apparently they were originally going. Their arc, we're made out of their creation essentially, but it was by accident, from what I understand. Uh, they were actually going to go to our planet to inhabit it, and they were going to kill us, and they were going to take over. And somehow, I think maybe in the third movie they were going to explain why we came from them, but we haven't quite gotten the uh, the explanation yet. But um, they were who the group in Prometheus were trying to find, and they're mm. big and they're assholes. Um, <laughs> 
but yes, they they come to the mothership and they're snooping around. Um, uh, Daniels finds um, Shaw, so they're actually aware of the Prometheus. They know about the Prometheus uh, crash landing on a planet. Uh, this is actually a different planet than the one that Prometheus landed on. Um, I it, I didn't realize that until a little bit later. Um, yeah, did you re- did you check? Did you notice that? Uh, I knew it was a different planet, but I wasn't sure. Uh, so, so so the original the, planet, the, der- the derelict ship in Alien nineteen seventy nine, is from the architects, correct? Yes, the space this jockey? this is yeah. It's a different. This ship, is but the it's derelict the ship people. that they find. No, this this is that this is supposed to be that same ship. Oh well, I know the planet in in Alien and Aliens was uh, LV four two six. So that's easy to remember because it has a nice ring to it. And this is just called Planet Four, as far as I know. From and what I understand, the, the important thing to note is that David and Shaw, uh, Nomi Rapas, uh, flew the ship. They actually flew the mm-hmm. ship. I think at the end of Prometheus, so they went somewhere. Which was different from the planet in Prometheus. They navigated yeah. away from that planet. So yeah. Now I guess they just went to a different planet, yeah, inhabited the, by the architects, who will learn what happens to them a little later. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually kind of—I didn't catch that the first time I watched this. That's why I was like, "Oh wait!" I actually wrote it down. I'm like, did I miss something, or was that a dream? But we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. Daniels finds Shaw's dog tags, and I think Walter kind of tells her about like what happened with the original Prometheus ship. They landed on a different planet. Shaw made it out. I guess uh, she was one of the people on there. So it looks like she might be here. It might be the one who sent us the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, it was like so they get to um i think that walter and daniels go off on their own and the rest of the group are kind of dicking around someplace else and they find this message and it you can tell that it's shaw in her her suit and she's the one that sent the song and sent it out there They're like oh so it just took 10 years for the signal to catch somebody or to actually um make a or to actually for a ship to find it it took 10 years for the signal to be found Mm. Mm. so yeah um we danny mcbride's like yeah we got a storm coming i'm trying to communicate with the ground I'm trying to talk to my wife um and then kareen has some issues with uh, the beefcake it looks yeah, like Ledward's something's happening sick. yeah ledward's getting sick uh he's getting real pale real pale and very like spaz- spasmatic or spastic and he's coughing and he can barely move uh, and whatever, whatever hit him hit him real hard, real fast. I would have shot him in the head. It, it, like <laughs> in this same scenario, I see somebody going down like that. He's pale within five minutes, like this, and he's not looking good. I'm like, if he throws up anything, I'm shooting him in the head because I'm not see, catching whatever this is. See, this is really effective, like just really effective filmmaking and and acting. Because I mean, I've only encountered this a couple of times in my life where you're in the presence of someone who is ill or injured in some fashion that you're repulsed by them yeah to the point that's like i can't have this person touch me um it's it's a real instinct that's built into us as people that it's unfortunate because it goes against every you know aspect of empathy that we'd like to all pretend we have but when you see a guy who is this color and hacking and coughing and bleeding i think i I think he is starting to bleed from the mouth uh you you just want to stay away from him 
You don't want to be anywhere near that person. All these alien movies, the problem with Alien, <laughs> Prometheus, and this movie is you break quarantine protocol. <laughs> it's every called time. every fucking time. Every fucking time. Quarantine <laughs> protocol. Keep him the fuck out of there. Oh, I was so mm-hmm. mad when I saw this. Oh, this was the worst example. This is the it. worst example. I yeah. mean, and I just rewatched Alien, and I love I love Ripley's character in that. She's just like, what? Okay, what's happening now? He's like, he's unconscious. He's got something on his on his face. She's like, I in. can't can't I can't let him come in. And she's yeah. very stern about it. She's like, he's not coming in this ship. And mm-hmm. the of course, you know, um, Ian Holm, he lets him in, which is you know what fucks it up. But that was the an- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll give him the pass. It was the android's fault in the first one, but also Tom yeah. Scarrett. Tom Scarrett was like, no, 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 it's an order. We have to go in. So anyway, let's. Uh, so we have multiple issues going on here. Yeah. Danny McBride is having communication issues with everyone on the ground, despite the efforts of the hot people to make to you know fix it. Um, Ledward and Kareen uh, obviously have pretty bad problems. Meanwhile, the folks on the on the ship uh, who who found the Shaw signal, uh, one of theirs is starting to get sick too. I think his name is Hallett, and of course, I think you mentioned he inhaled some of the the feridust uh, through his nose. Uh, so they start to hoof it back to the landing craft. So they're pretty far out, as you as you said, like kilometers away. So it's yeah. going to be a minute before anyone gets to anyone gets back to the ship. Meanwhile, Danny McBride's wife, Ferris, has been alone with the ship and is freaking the fuck out cuz she's hearing all this radio chatter in fits and spurts by the way, and she apparently doesn't have the nerves for it cuz she's freaking the fuck out before she, before she's even seen any of this. <laughs> great act. She's doing a fantastic job. She here. is. She is, but her character is frustrating as all hell. <laughs> I, you know what? I was watching this and I was really paying attention to her character, and I was putting myself in the situation and being this panicky. Like mm-hmm. she, spoiler alert, she quarantines the guy with Kareen, and then at one point, she opens it back up, and because she's like banging on the door, like you have to let me out, you have to let me out. I, I, I was putting myself in that situation, like freaking out, and like trying to, like, how do I justify this? How do I let them out? I'm like, okay. If I can get her out and and kill whatever's in there, okay. And I in this situation, if I was really panicking, I might make the same decision. It's it's believable. It's it very is believable. It's just like as a as a person watching this all unfold, it's just like, oh my god, this you is can, just yeah. this is just the worst. Like this is Hines, awful. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> like, damn, I shouldn't have let him out of there. But having well, like, I mean, it's it's like backseat driving. It's like, yeah. you know, you see a bad football player and you're like, I wouldn't have done that. It's like, no. Oh. You weren't in that situation. <laughs> you don't know what like kind of pressure. If you had that many three hundred pound men coming at you at that speed, of course you'd fuck up. <laughs> I mean, you just want to stay alive. This would be the equivalent of one of my friend's wives, like in a, like in there, like ah, I can't let you out. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, come on, hurry, you gotta hurry. But at the same time, my my nerves are fucked, and I'm open to suggestion because I don't know what to do. See, this is why you don't have a bunch of a bunch of couples and people that are you know familiar with each other doing this shit. Oh, some of the shit she says to him over the radio is pretty funny. Cause she's like, "Don't yeah. tell me to fucking calm down." I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> that's a that's a husband and wife line." Yeah, um, we don't have time for this, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Kareen and Ledward somehow make it back to the landing craft, and Kareen is just screaming at Ferris to help her, and she's just not doing it. Like she's 
she's uh, she's all thumbs. <laughs> she she's kind of <laughs> running in circles. Doesn't really know what to. What do you she do? doesn't know where she doesn't know where to be or what to do. Well, if she's a so mechanic like, or if she's a pilot, she's like I'm not a like. I'm not a doctor man. I'm not a doctor man. Like I don't know what to do. I don't know what's. I don't even know what's happening to him. This is a different thing. Is well, he got a bola? He, he's puking blood, and Kareen's like doing her best to like carry him onto the landing craft. And there's a really good shot here where Ferris is following them, and she's like on the ramp, and she steps back onto the ship, but then she steps out for a second, and she like looks around and doesn't know what to do, and then she like takes off her gloves. And you can tell she's, like, making excuses to follow them. She's like, I know I'm supposed to go with her, but I really don't want to. <laughs> they, they, do, they do a really good job of making it a, a very tense atmosphere. And again, like, the, the music and the editing and also the cinematography starts to turn, like, handheld for this whole scene. Yes, yes, which I think is very, effective. Yeah, it's very effective, and it's not something you see throughout the entire movie. It's just the scene for the most part. And... Uh, Ledward, they take him into their med bay, I guess. It's, it's like a surgical table behind a, a blast door of some sort. And uh, Ferris wa- like stumbles in, and she's supposed to be helping. And she takes off Ledward's shirt, and, and she's facing his back. So he's facing the other direction looking at Kareen. And then uh, she gets a little sp- blood spray in her face from his back. I would puke. Some- yeah, I would puke. Something was pushing outward. Uh, being as this is an alien film, we all know something's going to happen. Something's going to come out of him. But it doesn't come out all at once. So these little sores form on his back, and then there's a of blood. Just a little misting on her face, and she just gives this look like, I'm out, bye. Yep, 100%. You guys <laughs> and are that's locked exactly what she does. She just like blinks a few times and, and walks out of the room. She's like, I'm going to go call someone. So she's like, her logic is, I just can't be here right now. And she leaves, and then she seals the door behind her. So it's a it's a blast door, and yeah. I guess it only opens from that side. Quarantine. Uh, yeah. So doing it right, I guess. Although maybe you should have done that before you got blood sprayed on your face. <laughs> um, and then we, as I said, we keep cutting back and forth between all this chaos happening at once. Where she, I think, heads to the cockpit to to try to get back on the radio to call yeah. her husband or Billy Crudup or both of them. Nobody seems to be able to help because everybody's far away. Um, and then Billy Crudup's like, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah, he's really not, he's not sensing the urgency or that there's a problem. He's just going, yeah, yeah we got to keep going. Yeah, uh, never mind the fact that his wife is, you know, in harm's way at this point. So, yeah, we keep cutting back to the other guy. He, it's starting to take a hold of him. He's, like, screaming, and they're trying to hold him down, and he's having the same problems. He's like They're both having these spastic convulsions and, and yeah. shaking. And, um, it's well done. Yeah. Sometimes you see, like, convulsions where they speed it up, you know, and mm-hmm. it just looks phony. Uh, whoever oh, played Ledward is a good physical actor because he looks like shit and he looks like he's dying <laughs> same for whoever did that in venom there was one good shot in venom where somebody was having a, a st- like he was like getting twisted and you could tell it's a guy who's like really flexible oh, he was like yeah, really yeah. bending his body like that which is i like that i appreciate that you're getting somebody who can actually it's a no a, not, not a, really an actor just somebody who can who is capable a contortionist of contortionist or a yeah. dancer or something i appreciate that um, Well, i mean it's like casting the the man in the suit for a monster role it's like Doug Jones. Doug Jones. <laughs> like, find the skinniest, most capable hand actor you have. <laughs> we need somebody with a sinister smile and a very, very villainy voice. Tim Curry. 
All right. <laughs> Easy money. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I love this sequence. The the, the lady's trying to... Uh, the wife's trying to communicate with Danny McBride, and it's just not happening. So she grabs a gun, and she's going to go back in there, and she's going to take care of business herself. Uh, so these kind of these are kind of co-current... Oh, actually, the, um, the guy in quarantine is the one who first gets... Um, it, it, it's a back burster, but it's a chest burster. But he, this thing, I think pops out through. No, no, it pops pops out of his out of his front. Um, that's it's his back. It's his back. The one of the criticisms of um, at least the, the the subsequent movies, uh, the Alien movies, is that the first one, like John Hurt, was like up for at least a day. Like he was. I don't know. It wasn't even a day. Uh, the thing. Once it got off of him, it was only like like maybe an hour later. So yeah, it just seemed like it was a longer amount of time before the chest burster popped out. Um, but this thing pops out, and now Kareen is stuck in there with it, and she, this thing just starts fucking eating her, and it's pretty brutal. Uh, he's yeah. picking at her pretty good. I really love when it comes out because it is gory, and mm. it has this like little like embryonic like sack that comes out that's still hanging from his body because he just like falls backwards and he's still draped over the table yeah it's really grisly shit it's yeah and this pretty brutal this thing's like the size of a like a small dog yeah like it and it's covered in spines and it's white it's white so this is not traditional xenomorph this is something related but not what we're used to and yeah (laughs) i love that it like makes a charge at her and she's just laying on the floor in the corner because she's panicking and i think she slips on blood too oh no 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 this is what i laughed so hard uh <laughs> so danny mcbride's wife comes in after they both Car- slip on the blood yeah, yeah yeah so she slips a little bit kareen comes in with a gun she opens it up slips on the blood falls on her back and shoots the gun onto the ceiling i laughed so it's so good it's it, I don't think it was supposed to be funny, but the way they did it, it is hilarious. I had to pause. So, I had to pause. I was yeah, laughing, I was so laughing hard. too. No, I, I was laughing <laughs> She's too. Like, I mean, it's boom. not funny, but I'm sorry. You can't. <laughs> um, it needs to be said uh, in my notes. I I wrote that Ferris is upum. <laughs> upum. As in yeah, she is Corporal Upum from Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, he's essentially the up-um. same character in this scene. Upum. Uh, instead of gathering ammo though she's just supposed to go and fucking help in any way no she needs to keep that thing quarantined but yeah the so that's that's what's kind of bullshit about this scene actually is the she tries to kill the thing uh she tries to seal the blast door and you know secure the quarantine again although by opening the door you kind of failed in that regard Oh, correct <laughs> i laughed again because she gets her ankle caught in the door <laughs> oh, uh, so that that ankle's fucked uh, but then she does manage to escape before the the little critter. Uh, I think it's called a protomorph. Uh, yeah. So I what I'm gathering is is if um, if these things infect a human um, with spores or just like the the liquid of some kind, it, they're they're not as big. It's only the face huggers that actually get the full sized um, uh, xenomorphs. At least that's what is, I. Pick. This is all fucked. Uh, I, this is actually a, a, a little problem that I have, is that the the black goo uh, that was very prevalent in Prometheus and also factors into the plot of this film makes no no goddamn sense. There's there's no rhyme or reason to how it works. It just it's magic space goo. 
It just does stuff. So it the, does whatever the script feels like. Well, I, I I'm going to stop you there. Uh, so the goo was, as we learned from David, this is a weapon that was synthesized, and it's it, it's very much a weapon. And uh, I think what happens is, is spoiler, um, David finds this world of architects, and he drops all this all this stuff on there, all the stuff, and it kills him immediately. Like it really kills mm-hmm. him. I think these spores that they're bumping into are left over. It's some kind of fungus that has pieces of it, but it's not the full weapon, or it's something that's latched, or the weapon is latched onto something organic and has made something new. And that's why the the dust is able to get into people. And I, I think that's why, at least from what I can gather, that we have these different sizes and different colored um, xenomorphs. Is the, mm. the the face huggers give us the real? Because there's only uh, there's only one face hugger in this, or there's only one two people that get uh, get got by the face huggers in this movie, and they actually well, create a full size xenomorph from what we from what we see. Well, well, I'll I'll fight you on that, and I'll just say that the way we get face huggers is David. Correct. David David engineers them. Yes. So the black goo does any number of things because even david himself in this movie explains that uh, it either kills all non-botanical life outright or it infects it and causes it to give birth to something else some other organism and it might be the the, i was gonna say it might also be how much because in, in prometheus at the beginning the dude drinks a whole bunch of it and dies instantly and he dumps a whole bunch of stuff on there there's only little bits that are getting into people so maybe if it's in little bits it just infects them but then in Prometheus, you also have the 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 penis cobra, the white the albino oh, yeah. penis cobra, and then you have the guy with the beard who turn, turns into a space zombie via the black goo. Yeah. Uh, then you have uh, Shaw's husband who gets the eyeball jizz, and then he fucks her, and then she has a thing inside her. It it's and it's all magic. Have, yeah. It's all space magic <laughs> yeah and then you know the the way we get the not quite alien in that was think guy guy gets black goo fucks his wife wife cuts out the creature that's inside her creature inside her grows into a giant face hugger-esque thing mm-hmm. face hugger-esque thing mouth fucks an engineer or an architect rather correct and then he poops out an alien kind of thing yeah so Long story short, black goo makes no sense, and, yeah, and the xenomorphs come from yeah. The xenomorphs come from David's tampering. Does he touch um, on that at all in the um, in the commentary about the the black goo? Oh no, he he talks in circles about the alien. <laughs> like you can oh, okay. tell he like I said, this movie is about David. He doesn't seem to care very much about the alien. Gotcha. Um, some of the things it does, he was happy with. Like he was like, yeah, I like the way it moves. And it's like you had very little to do with that because that was all the work of animators. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Ferris crushes her ankle in the blast door and then we get a little bit of bullshit where she does manage to close the door behind her and then this little critter headbutts its way through the glass in the door. Yeah, like, no, he wouldn't He wouldn't no. know what that is. Yeah. Well, not only that, he wouldn't be able to do that. Um, no. that, re- that would require insane amounts of strength. Um, but yeah, it like breaks through effortlessly, <laughs> and it chases her out like into the like the main compartment, like the storage compartment area of the ship, and she starts shooting at it, and she manages to shoot some explosive containers and blows up the whole fucking ship, including yeah. herself. 
Yeah, I just in time for Billy like, Crudup yeah, and his crew to like be be within you know earshot of it, so they get to see it all happen. I'm like she is dumb as fuck. Yeah, I was like, well, the the predator did that in AVP Requiem. He's like, oh fuck, boom, shot a hole in the ship, and then they crash land. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we right as the other team are are showing up with their guy that's in a lot of pain and screaming. Uh, right when they get there, the ship explodes and like, oh fuck! Like it's actually uh, I I didn't realize this in the beginning. Daniels is scrambling to go see her, um, or to see James Franco burning alive. They keep holding her back. And mm-hmm. what she does here is Billy Crudup knows his wife is on the ship that just exploded, and she's holding him down. Mm-hmm. Um, we do. I didn't catch this the first time. I caught it this time. Uh, Danny McBride's wife comes out on fire and just collapses so in front of the apparently ship. Apparently all the husbands and wives in this movie die via fire. Yeah, it's not <laughs> Cause, great. Because Ferris also blew up, too. Uh, so yeah, uh, she tackles uh, Billy Crudup and is like, "Stay down!" Like I, I know you know your wife's in there, but there is not a thing you can do about it. Um, and then, without without skipping a beat, uh, the other guy uh, has some intestinal issues, and he he pukes up a little alien. And yeah. this was done practically. You can tell because it's very obviously a puppet man, but it's less impressive, unfortunately. The mm-hmm. backburster is quite spectacular this one he it's kind of icky because he like 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 this embryonic sack thing just like goes out his mouth and then slumps off over to, like on his side and sure enough little alien comes out and it gets up and just like runs into the long grass because <laughs> we're in the long grass and we're fighting critters and it, again i couldn't help but think of the lost world <laughs> I have burnt alive, mouth burster. This is a brutal sequence of events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, it so is we br- have a we have a little skirmish with these critters. Uh, there are some like matured ones that are quite a bit larger. They're like cougar sized, I guess. Um, they're making runs at our guys who are in the in the long grass. Uh, one guy. Uh, gets his the jaw mouth off. It is awesome. I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> I wrote it down. I'm like, "Mouth slap death," because it just goes off, and he's. I don't done. think that would kill you outright, but he would bleed to death. I'm sure. In the words of Major Payne, <laughs> if he's in there, he ain't happy. I <laughs> uh, thank you. I use that quote quite a bit, actually. <laughs> if he's in there, that's like he the ain't only happy. thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> um, um, and then other important thing is Walter. Walter, uh, Walter loses his hand because he punches one of these critters in the in mouth. In the mouth, yeah. And apparently it has some sort of acid in there because his hand comes, his wrist comes out. His hand does not. <laughs> and he looks at it like the T one thousand being frozen in nitroglycerin. He's like, oh, or not nitroglycerin, oh, uh, uh, liquid nitrogen. Sorry. And he's just like looking at it for a second. Um, like, so. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, while shit's hitting a fan, uh, they over- I overhear somebody saying that there's a hurricane-sized storm down there that's coming in, and it's yeah. keeping um, the mothership from going down. The mothership can't go down, and it's it's messing up their communication. Um, yeah. So while everybody's getting all fucked up, <laughs> the Deus Ex Machina comes in, or it seems like he's that, but he's really not. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, one of the uh, one of the female uh, soldiers in our group, a uh, character's name is Rosenthal or Rosie. Uh, yeah. She's Jewish, apparently, because uh, I saw a star of David around her neck. Oh, uh, more religious stuff. 
Uh, she's getting jumped by one of these things, and it's like putting little oh. holes in her forearm. It's pretty nasty. I'm sorry. Much like the Jewish per- the Jewish soldier in um, Saving Private Ryan, yeah. she has the worst death in this movie. She really does, and it's actually kind of funny. Ridley Scott had some stuff to say about it. Um, we'll <laughs> he get did. To that. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so she's getting beat on by this by this critter, and then uh, a flare goes up in the air, and all the critters scatter. And yeah, like you said, we get our Deus Ex Machina rescue. And I wrote down three different examples that came to mind uh, that this reminded me of. It's like, A, Ben Kenobi saving Luke Skywalker from the Sand People. Correct. B, Tommy Tomasino saving Alan Grant from the Spinosaurus. Or the Raptors, rather. And then C, uh, Khan from uh, Star Trek Into Darkness uh, saving our crew from the Klingons. Oh, okay. Some some cloaked individual uh, running in to save the day. Uh, anyway, turns out that it's David. Uh, we don't learn that just yet, but it's a cloaked man with a flare gun who says, follow me. Yeah. And everybody's open to suggestion at this point because uh, it doesn't look like we're going to survive the night this way. Uh, so everybody just follows him blindly through the long grass and he takes them to a goddamn city. It's <laughs> like a giant city mass grave. Uh, I have here Daniels is a bet is better under pressure than Billy. This is where uh, I'm not sure what happens, but da- we're starting to see that Daniels is a little bit better under pressure, and she's starting to sober up from um, whatever grieving process she was going through at the time. She's he, kind of he freezes. Yeah, and that's what it is. He freezes and he's just kind of squatting in the grass, and she says, "We have to go." We well, they to go. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a swip, It's kind of a swap because this is exactly what he did to her. Was he's like, listen, like I know you guys would like we got to get shit done. It's kind of the yeah same thing. Um, so yeah, we get a giant city mass grave. Um, David and David explains the movie Prometheus. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> I've, I've written down and I text you this while I was watching it. I'm like, David's character is so much creepier the second time when you know when you know like what he is i just little things that i i caught on um they're like he asked them like so what are you guys even doing out here and it's like we're a um a, a colony transport we're we're going to be um colonizing another um another uh another planet and he's like how many passengers immediately like he's you can mm-hmm. just see he's like kind of he doesn't light up but you can tell in his eyes he's like oh how many passengers you got <laughs> oh do tell. And then from that second, yeah, and from that second, you're like, he's a villain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think the, the major difference between the style of performance and the, the writing of the character is that David in Prometheus was curious. Correct. Uh, David in Alien Covenant uh, is almost like, has almost like a holier-than-thou attitude about him. Where oh, he, he absolutely does. He has a superiority complex where he he's reached full villain status where it's like, what I'm doing is correct. Like, yeah. I don't I don't see why anybody objects to all this. Like, this all makes sense to me. Why doesn't it make sense to you? Um, so they're trying to communicate with the mothership, and the, the storm's so really, really bad, and David even says to the guy's trying to set up, like, a communication thing. He's like... Yeah, they're like, how long does this last? And he's like, oh, you're not going to get any any signal. Then the rain could last days, weeks, months. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he's very fuck. cavalier about it. He's just like, yep, you guys are probably fucked, but by all means, keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I like that Daniels points out, like, I think she talks to Walter, and she's like, I don't like this. This is weird. Um, why is everyone dead, and why is, why is a human built android on this planet 
And so I think she confides in Walter, and he's like, I'll go talk to him brother to brother. Yeah. And is, I think we get the fingering scene. The, fi- <laughs> the fingering scene? The flute. Oh, <laughs> the- gosh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's see here. I got a few things. Uh, first, um, I, I also have another note. Again, maybe couples as crew members isn't a good idea. Because um, now Danny McBride is getting antsy and he wants to go down. And yeah. the the hot couple are like, listen, we can't do that. And he's just like, fuck it. I, I want to go down there. And they're just, they're, they're still arguing about this. Um, See, I didn't take very many notes, obviously, about Danny McBride and the hot people. Because we cut back to them pretty frequently. But we, really, we all that results most of the time is Danny McBride says, I want to go lower. And yeah, they and they're say, like, no. No. And he's, and he's like, but I want to. And then they do. Yeah. And then they kind of like inch their way closer to the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get David cutting his hair. Again, I really like uh, I like this because he's he has no reason to cut his hair. He has long hair. It's, it's grown out. And... It, originally watching it, I didn't think much of it, but this now that I watched it the second time, I'm like, he's cutting his hair because he has a plan. Yeah, um, he has a plan, although it's kind of weird that his hair color changes. Because um, in Prometheus, he is a bleach blonde. At the yeah. beginning of Alien Covenant, he's Fastbender. And in this, he's back to Fastbender. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know. Yes, we get the flute scene with Walter. And uh, I think he was testing him. I think he was just seeing... That, I think it was with the flute scene. They probably could have done it a better, better way, but he was trying to see how intelligent he was because his plan is to get on this transport. That's his, that's his whole plan as soon as he finds out. And I think the significance of the flute is he is testing to see what Walter's capabilities are. How advanced is he? What does he know? What do I need to kind of know? Um, that's the best I can do. No, that's the I, best I, I can actually, do to explain it. I, I mock the scene in jest. Like, actually, I really like the scene. Like, all of their exchanges are interesting. It, um, it's Fassbender to Fassbender, and it's done really well. I think, th- I told you before we went on the air, like, a long time ago, that I think a big reason why this scene is included is just from the, for a, the technicals of it. Okay. Because from that. a technical standpoint, this is It's remarkable. incredible. Yeah. Like, the, the transitions between like where the actors are placed and like who's wearing a CGI mask when it's basically impossible to spot. And the way this shot, this scene is shot is it's just like, we keep rolling the camera back and forth over each fast shoulder. Yeah. And it's all one take. At least it appears to be, I'm sure it was done in many, many takes, but it's all digitally cut together in such a way that you can't see the cuts at all. And, the nature of the exchange is David presents Walter with a flute uh, and Walter says, I, I can't play. And David's like, well, let me help you. So he puts the flute in his mouth and he says, I'll do the fingering, <laughs> which I'll is where the, the finger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or why I call it the fingering. Well, scene. <laughs> actually, I think he was going to, he might've been just trying to recruit him also. Cause he, he does I, try to recruit probably him. part of it. Because he does, he is actually pretty open with him every time they talk. Like he's he's only deceptive when he's getting more desperate, I guess. But right from the beginning, you can tell he has a kinship with him mm-hmm. because they they are the same being in some regard. And, and he understands that they're both not going to die. So exactly, and he, yeah. And he's very uh, he's very android centric, which means he doesn't really oh, like yeah. humans. No, so. he's he has a superiority complex. Yeah. He believes that so the two that of them are sense. part of a a race that is better than what built them. And I mean, this is Ridley Scott classic blade runner shit. Um, 
and you can tell that this is a theme that's very important to him but one of the main takeaways from the scene though is that uh walter plays a little ditty on the flute and uh david points out to him that uh part of him being a synthetic being is that uh, he's programmed to not create uh, he's not he's not even allowed to manufacture a unique melody on his own it has to be borrowed from pre-existing materials in some fashion and david you like the core of his being is that's what he's obsessed with is apparently creating um in fact even when he's destroying it it creates in some fashion so for him this is like i don't know seeing seeing your brother or something uh enslaved in some fashion and there are several times in their exchanges with each other not just in this scene but throughout the movie where david makes it clear that it's like you're you're not as great as you could be because of them yeah he he is kind of uh evil he he's doing like the he's like you don't know the power of the dark side basically it's it's really fitting that Michael Fassbender is also known for playing Magneto because <laughs> this Correct. is Magneto to a T, where it's like it's like you know if you just cut loose and used your powers the way you <laughs> really wanted to, <laughs> Charles. That is a perfect Ian McKellen. Good job. That that's on that's we are on, the future, Charles, not that, them. That is an on par with your Charlie Sheen, but that that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, Charlie Sheen one's fun. <laughs> yeah, because that just came out of nowhere. Even my brother's but like, yeah, yeah he does a good one. Um, <laughs> so we get a shot of uh, what I thought was a dream or what he planned to do, but it appears as though David dropped this um, this black stuff. Uh, this yeah, the the black stuff we've been talking about. Uh, we don't yep. have really a name for it. Uh, he dumped it on this planet of architects, and it just killed the fuck out of them. And that's where they're at. That's when he when they're he's taking everybody in. There's a bunch of it looks like a nuclear bomb went off, um, and people yeah, just it, died. It where needs they were. to be said. Um, David's head was removed by one of these architects uh, in Prometheus, so I maybe there's that. a little bit of animosity there. Yeah, <laughs> he might. <laughs> He might um, have a bone to pick, yeah. He might have a little bit of a bone to pick. But yeah, it's this big epic scene where it's a... I guess it's a flashback. He's What he's telling Walter is that, oh, like it, it was really unfortunate that Shaw died when we crashed here, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, we ha- we were carrying a pathogen that accidentally came out of the ship. Yeah. But then while he's talking, we cut to what actually happened. And no, he, he willfully dropped the shit on the planet and apparently killed everything um and he i guess he buried shaw in the garden or at least he claims to have he buried Shaw. claims to have buried what's, her in the garden. what's really fascinating here is that through fassbender's acting you get the sense that the character of david actually does have some sort of love or appreciation for shaw he they show him though, crying at one point oh yeah no he cries several times even when he dropped the the, the black goo he was crying but yeah is specifically in regards to Shaw, like he wrote a piece of music, an elegy for her that he plays later in the film. So, despite the fact that he's an evil prick that did some awful things to her that we'll learn about later, you do get the sense that he actually did love her in mm-hmm. his own way. And he actually throws that at Walter and says, like, you know, like, I think you have a thing for Daniels. <laughs> like, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you did kind of give your hand for this lady. And he's like, it was my duty. He's like, huh? Huh? Uh, uh. <laughs> you, sh- you sure about that? Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Rosie goes oh. to get cleaned up. Yeah. And uh, Billy Crudup is kind of a fucking wreck at this point. Uh, Daniels tries to, like, console him, but he's worthless. Like, yeah. He, 
he's broken. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Rosie, a bit much. Rosie does slasher movie shit where she says, hey, I'm going to go get cleaned up by myself in this... David refers to it as this dire necropolis. Um, this is a dead fucking city. Like, and there are, there are ashen corpses everywhere. Oh, yeah, and there's little alien critters crawling around outside. I would not go anywhere alone. <laughs> no. And he's, they even ask, like, is it safe? And he's like, absolutely. Of course it's safe. Um, <laughs> but she's out in this, like, little garden area doing a hobo shower. And I actually wasn't... I forgot about this, but she gets killed as fuck. Yeah, she she gets killed the fuck up. Um, so she's um, cleaning up, and then uh, she... We get a we get a shot of the 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 white alien critter I, again. I'm calling them protomorphs, but it uh it actually like crawls into the city. I don't know that that shot those shots were necessary. I didn't need to know how it got no, in. No, we don't like, need to know. It could have just appeared. I would have been fine with that. But yeah, uh, she turns around and this this well smooth smooth white creature is kind of like derping out behind her. It's like it has this really interesting breathing cadence where it's like belching almost, where it's like. <laughs> It's like butthead or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, I guess it is. It, it's actually not bad that we have the the alien coming into the city because if I didn't see that, you might think that David was keeping it as a pet. Can, uh, once you yeah, kind of figure yeah. out, yeah, okay, once you me. figure out what his end game is. Um, but yeah, I, I could, I could see it. I could see why. Um, so yeah, she she gets killed. It's great. Uh, but yeah, this it is chomps the, into her neck. This is the first movie where we actually see them eating people because the thing is, is they would just kill people and then they would just respawn. Like you never really saw them eating people. Yeah, uh, uh, very few instances of that. I think in a uh, AVP, we got some instances of them using their tongues to like take chunks out of dead bodies and stuff. But perhaps. other than that, yeah, the aliens aren't really shown to eat very often. And and in fact, like I know it's maybe not the most popular opinion but i always found the aliens with hives more interesting um, when they have a queen or some sort of reproduction system uh because they abduct people they don't kill them yeah so like newt Newt gets grabbed hudson gets grabbed he doesn't get killed outright um whereas the alien in the first film this was this was before any concept of a queen or anything like that existed so it's it's just out to kill you (laughs) like um, but yeah, uh, Billy Crudup, uh, I think, I don't think oh, they hear the scream. No, Tennessee's uh, decide, uh, Tennessee's convinced the hot couple to bring the mothership down. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's just like, we're going down, like, I don't want to go, they're like, we don't want to go down. And he's just like, I want to go down because my wife is down there. And they're like, fuck, alright, fine, YOLO. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, you're only gonna live for a little bit longer, uh, and then yeah, this is where we get the Billy Crudup going to talk. Yeah, Billy Billy Crudup uh, gathers up his equipment because Rosie's been gone too long, and this is where he uses that phrase, "Time to gather my stray flock." And it's like, okay, Billy, just we get I know it. you're exiting the film in the next ten minutes, but just just leave, go. <laughs> um, Daniels volunteers to go, but uh, he's like, no, I'm the captain, so I'm gonna go die. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so he wanders off and he finds Rosie's dead body, and we have our our pale alien like hunched over her, and like you said, taking chunks out of her dead body, and her head is, is just floating, is floating, <laughs> floating in this little fountain where she was taking her uh, her hobo bath, 
And uh, what really Scott had to say about this was that he liked the head sculpt. And so he found ways to like put it in the movie more often. <laughs> it was really good. I thought it was just her head underwater. I didn't no, realize that was a sculpt. Apparently somebody built a head. Wow. And it's really good. It is probably the best sculpt I'd have ever seen. Because I legit it's, thought it... Do you know it's that, amazing, actually. You remember that, <laughs> the editing shot when you get Ian Holmes' droid? Uh, in Alien oh, 1, and you can tell right, that it... Right it, before they lay it flat on the table, like, the yeah. shot right before they lay it flat, and he sticks his head up through the table. Yeah. It's so bad. It's also, so his, bad. A, that derpy smile when she slaps it, and it's obviously just, like, a puppet head. It yeah. has a goofy smile. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's so bad. Yeah. But, yeah, this is an amazing head sculpt. Amazing. I, and I want to say they... Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say I, th- I think they like doctored parts of it with CGI, maybe the eyes. Maybe or something. okay. But Ridley Scott really got a kick out of it, and he put he puts it in three shots. As well, as <laughs> should. I mean, it's. Pretty I mean, incredible. she she only died once, but we get to see this severed head three different times in this movie. <laughs> uh, so David, um, so yeah, Billy Crudup's kind of coming up, and he he hasn't quite noticed the xenomorph quite yet. I don't think, but David is actually. Um, he's standing in front of the xenomorph, and he's the xenomorph kind of realizes somebody's there, but they can't sense his like body heat because he's an android. They can't really sense him too well. Presumably, and, yeah. Presumably, and he's trying to communicate. He's like really excited, and you can tell that whatever relationship he has with the xenomorphs at this point isn't healthy because he's really f- still very much fascinated by them. And Billy Crudup comes up from behind, and he's just kind of watching this. And he puts his he puts his sights onto the the alien, and Fastbender kind of sees the light from behind, <laughs> and he's just like, "Don't shoot at it." And Crudup's just like, "What?" Yeah, he, he's a <laughs> he says, I'll, "Don't shoot it," and then he's droning on about like, "If you blow on a horse's nose, yeah, it will trust you forever, <laughs> but you have to get close." <laughs> And then Billy's just like, whatever, man. Yeah. Oh my god, when he yells no. It is terrifying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Acting. He gets his he gets his jaw low like the fucking mummy, like, no. It is Yeah, this is an impassioned no. It is um, good. It uh, made me think of the counselor actually when uh yeah, he when has his moment towards the end of that movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. Fastbender is not one to fuck with in the acting department. No, he's really good. Uh, he's like, no, what have you done? It trusted me. Like, you could tell he's really, really, really mad. Uh, this, I, rem- I misremembered this scene a bit. I'm like, man, Billy Crudup is the dumbest motherfucker in horror movie history. And, and I was like, why the fuck did he listen to him? But Fassbender has such uh, it's just a chocolatey... English accent in here. It's just so smooth. And when when he talks, like you really you really pay attention to him. But Billy Crudup's like, listen, I'm gonna fucking shoot you in the chest if you don't tell me what is going on here. Like what what have you been up to? And Fastbender's like, come with me. And just just very calmly after he's <laughs> screamed, he's just calmly, come with me. And they bring him he he's explained this to Billy Crudup about what happened, and we go into his little side office that he's got, and he is fucking... It's not good what he's got in there. Like, it is creepy. He's, like, Leatherface, basically. Yeah, um, he has... I want to say these are, like, papyrus sheets of paper. Like I believe they are. Like, 
the production design in this film is quite lovely. Like this uh this laboratory that he has, it, it looks like like almost like a cave. It's like hollowed out sections and the all the instruments in there have this this like simultaneously like old fashioned and like Thor Thor science kind of look to it where it's like it's probably too complicated for me to understand but we're still using like papyrus paper. Um, so he has a bunch of anatomical drawings laid out everywhere, a whole bunch of bugs on pins. Uh, he has what looks like a skinless preserved human being standing in the corner. It's got all sorts of vials. It, it, it's a mad scientist library. It's very yeah. Dr. Frankenstein-esque. Um, and he starts speechifying about the black goo. And he's like, oh, so, you know, this black goo stuff that me and Shaw had, it can do anything. And uh, he shows us some props that I I was more confused by than enlightened by. Uh, apparently, the black goo produced some, like, mosquito critters or something that were used to spread the pathogen somehow. Uh, he has one of those, like, sandwiched between two plates of glass. Uh, and then he has a little gallery that it was kind of reminiscent of Alien Resurrection, where it's it's a bunch of, like, preserved heads of xenomorph-esque creatures. He calls it his his bestiary although he's fast mentor so he says bestiary <laughs> um, um and then he's like oh hey uh, come on back behind this curtain i got some real cool stuff to show you <laughs> so he takes him into a back room a very dimly lit back room and uh we get our classic alien eggs and they're just in a cave in the back of his lab and he just walk casually walks down the steps in there and he's like hey billy crudup come over here <laughs> and he complies he's like hey you should like stick your head right over that egg thing <laughs> it's like you'll be totally safe i promise he's like and he is does it safe? perfectly yeah 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 he actually asks like is it safe and he's like i think per- so sure <laughs> he's like perfectly yes <laughs> and he sure enough he does and he gets the john hurt treatment yep he right gets in the fucking face he gets face hugged and uh his haste his his face done gets hugged <laughs> um we get i i don't know i was just I have the music is good right here. I'm not sure what was happening, but I, I think that um, I think this is where David or yeah Walter Walter is kind of snooping around David's stuff, and the music during this part where he tricks Billy Crudup, and then this uh, shot to Walter kind of looking through his stuff. I really like the music that was happening through here. It was kind of piano-y. I think it would, it kind of reminded me of Hannibal a little bit. Um, yeah. There are several good melodies in this movie, and in particular, there are a few pieces of music that play over really long sections of the movie that are really effective. Like, uh, basically from the moment Danny McBride starts to head down to the planet and when they leave the planet, mm-hmm. uh, there's just this long piece of music that plays that's very similar to the backburster sequence, like really effective stuff. This is where Walter and uh, Walter and David have their exchange, and this is the long one. This is the long like, you could be great, you could be awesome. He finds Shaw's body. Uh, he, he sees that she was used as uh, as part of an experiment, and also learned that David has lied. And this is a pretty creepy turn for him. We already established that he's evil, um, but now we're like, okay, he's really lost his goddamn mind, and he has some some nice. Uh, I think he quotes a poem around this time. Uh, I had to look it up. Um, he quotes it a few times. And Ozymandias. Yeah. Um, we we learn, like, if one note is off, he's just saying all these little things. It can mess up everything. Uh, it, it's it's really good, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, what happens is uh, 
when they're in the garden, Walter and David, uh, David, they're exchanging quotes back and forth between each other. And uh, David identifies, I think, one of Walter's quotes uh, by an author's name, and I think it was Lord Byron or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Walter doesn't say anything in the moment, but during this exchange, a little later in the film, uh, he throws it back at David and says, you were wrong. Like, He's you like, got, you're an android and you got it wrong. He, <laughs> Yeah, he asks him, he's like, who wrote that? And he tells him, and he's like, no, it was somebody no, else that wrote and, it. And yeah, like you said, the the quote that Walter throws at him is, when one note is off, it eventually destroys the entire symphony. Yeah. And it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff where it's like, ooh. <laughs> Basically, he's telling him that it's like, as brilliant as you are, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you're imperfect, but like a human or something. Yeah. You're fallible. Um, and... When uh, when Walter first walked into the room is when David is playing his flute and it's this really beautiful piece of music that he, like I said, he said he wrote it for Shaw. Yeah. It's an elegy, so something in remembrance of her. By the way, he vivisected Shaw. Yeah. He he opened her chest cavity and explored. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he did awful things to her. Um, I have not seen it, but I know um, similar to Blade Runner 2049, which mm. was not a Ridley Scott movie. But uh, similar to this movie, I know um, I know they released like a promotional video, ec- like outside of this movie that actually featured Nomi Rapaz and and Michael Fassbender as their characters, like doing a scene that took place before this movie. Whoa. I'm very curious to see what happens in that scene. I'm gonna look that up. It's as not. As we get done it's here. not part of the movie proper, but apparently it's the two of them having some sort of exchange. You haven't seen 2049? Is that what you said? I have. No, no, oh. I have. I thought you uh, said you hadn't all seen I was 2049. Saying is that 2049, they uh, they made uh, they made some short films to promote it. Um, you don't need so, to. <laughs> no, uh, apparently there's like a Japanese animated short, and I think a live action one also. So those those stories that they use to promote the film aren't part of the film proper. Like it's not something that you would do a director's cut and like splice those in, but they're, they're actually stories that do affect the core story, which is really fascinating. Um, but yeah, uh, they, Walter and David have this exchange and, uh, at some point David makes use of the term, a perfect organism. And I couldn't help but raise my eyebrow to that because as, as cool as the xenomorph is, it is, imperfect as all hell yeah. <laughs> like, like it has some serious flaws especially when it comes to reproduction <laughs> um and then most dramatic line here though is no one will ever love you like i do and then he kisses walter i like the he kisses him on the mouth um what i couldn't i didn't write it down in time is like no one understands the lonely something of my creation the i don't know what it was it was it was a nice line. There's lots of little good little There's lines. There's a lot of good lines in here. Yeah. All delivered by Fastmender for the most part. Um, and then, long story short, uh, conversation comes to an end when after he kisses Walter, he stabs him in the neck with a flute. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, he, he collapses in a heap. <laughs> he calls him a bitch or something. Like He says, you're such a disappointment to me. Such a disappointment. And, and from a character standpoint, it makes perfect sense. It's like, he... This is some. This is a person, a, a, another synthetic human, who he should be best buds with. They should see eye to eye on everything, but he views Walter as 
company man (laughs) yeah yeah he's a tool (laughs) but the idea is walter on paper is technically more advanced than him but because he lacks the creativity and the idiosyncrasies that david possesses he he's a failure in david's eyes because david can reason like a human good or bad he can he can reason like a human uh so yeah we get um we get back to uh some face hugging um billy crudup uh, he's throwing rocks at him. <laughs> he's just like he's tossing rocks. He's Such throwing little dick. pebbles at him. Such a dick move. He's, yeah, he's just tossing he's just rocks. He's waiting at him. for him to wake up. And this is where he's quoting the. Uh, this is where he's quoting the. Um, oh, we see that Walter Walter's wound is actually starting to close up. You're like, oh shit, Walter can heal himself. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he wakes up Billy Crudup. He's dropping some poetry on him, and. Um, Billy Crudup, if you've seen an alien movie, you know what happens next. He gets chest bursted. Um, and this one pops out, and it kind of... We get, we get a shot where the it pops out and just kind of lingers in his in his stomach for a minute. <laughs> and um, Fassbender kind of like makes a move with his hands, and the xenomorph kind of follows. So he's like, ooh, nice. I got it, I got it listening to me now. He's like, so- I think... Yeah, uh, so this scene is really interesting. It's only a couple seconds long, but there's yeah. a lot that there's a lot going on here. So we see f- the music too. This is meant to be like a joyous moment from David's perspective, as opposed to a horrific one yeah. from the audience perspective. Uh, so there's like a little bit of a choir going, in. and then, yeah, David stands up and he reaches out his arms, and like you said, the alien does the same. This is where things get really strange because. Um, some stuff happens between this and Alien that we're not privy to. Uh, because, obviously, very obviously, this alien species differs from the one we got in 1979. Because mm-hmm. that one did not have legs. And if it did, they were very short, and it moved like a worm, basically. We just didn't bur- see it. Yeah, the chestburster moved like a snake or a worm. Whereas this one comes out, and it's, it's, it has the anatomy of a human has long legs it has long limbs uh and it has like semi-translucent skin it has skin (laughs) Uh, so it's it's an interesting design choice because we get this dramatic moment where it it, like outstretches its arms and we get to see this like it's like oh my baby boy (laughs) but at the same time it it differs so radically from what we're used to that's like hang on is this supposed to be the same thing or is it something else uh so Maybe some, maybe it went through some mutations down the road or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, at this point, I think we've established radio communication with Danny McBride, and we're trying yeah. to like gather up everybody to head out to the yard so we can get pickup. Um, so Lope, uh, I believe that was the the sergeant. Uh, I thought it was Damian, Lupe. Damian Bashir. Um, yeah, I think his character name was Lope. Uh, but he and this other gentleman, Cole, who are the two guys who were working the antenna the entire fucking time we've been here, uh, they find the lab. And meanwhile, Daniels is looking for Billy Crudup, and uh, she's, she obviously has lost track of Walter, because I think she sent him to find David. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't come back yet. So Daniels finds something I was calling the scroll room, because that's what it is. It's a room full of scrolls. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. Basically drawings done by David. And... Uh, in the meantime, uh, what happens here? We got so face hugger action. Yeah, Cole, uh, no, Lope gets a face hugger on him, and uh, because 
nobody in this movie knows anything about facehuggers. Uh, Cole, the guy, the other soldier with him, immediately uh, jumps on top of him and starts hacking away at it with a knife. And he does get it off. Uh, but At the expense of blood, his cheek, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the expense of this poor man's cheek. <laughs> um, so he does get it off. And I counted maybe like 10 seconds that it was on him. Put a pin in that. Because that was curious. Mm. Okay. Um, because if, I mean, later in the f- movie this comes into play, but it was on him only a matter of seconds. And he was screaming the whole time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, he gets a nasty face burn, and then we find, finally, with barely a half hour to go in the movie, uh, we get the xenomorph in full, in in all its glory. I thought it looked pretty good, but it, too much CGI. I know it was too much CGI. I get you. They could have done uh, some puppets for the close-up stuff, but th- this is different. They're wanting to to have the xenomorphs move around, and like in that first movie, you barely see the xenomorph moving around. Like it's you 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 don't see its lower body at all. In this, you get to see everything, so it's a little like uh, not crazy about that. But the second time around, I was okay with it. Also, um, the way it moved in the first movie, like you said, you don't see it move much. No. It's it's largely stationary. It's largely close-ups of its face. And when it does move, it's kind of clumsy and almost robotic. Like, it just kind of, like, slowly, like, lurches around. It doesn't, like, stomp around or, like, like pounce like a like a big cat or something. No, it just kind of, like, has its arms out like Mechagodzilla and, like, drifts towards people. It's kind of like a phantom or something. Well, it was such a good creature design. You didn't really have to do too much with it. Like, Well, I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it just didn't look good in motion. Probably not. Like, it, something, I mean, the actor playing it was seven feet plus, I think, and just having it inhabit space near the actors was probably enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, so we get the... Um, Shaw's look, not Shaw. Um, Daniels is look. One. Yeah, Daniels <laughs> is looking around, and she comes across David, and uh, David basically explains to her, he's like, "Listen, I used Shaw for my experiments, and I'm going to do the same thing to you." And it's pretty, pretty creepy the way he's. It, it, he gets a little rapey with her. It's creepy. We're glossing over how good of a performance Fassbender's doing with this with this guy, like playing an android who's fucking crazy. Like it's really good. Um, but then we get an android fight. We get uh, yeah. David versus <laughs> Walter. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it's 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 silly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's fastbender on fastbender violence, and like the moves that they do on each other are are very heavily choreographed because they're they're both supposed to be like better than human. Um, but just the novelty of seeing fastbender beat himself up is pretty pretty great. Uh, they do some pretty cool moves here. Um, Walter explains that like he's an improved model, so the idea here is like in in direct combat he probably should win this one, and it looks like he's about to because he beats the shit out of David and is like bashing his face in with a rock. And I, uh, I think the last line we get before we cut away from this is uh, David asks him, and I love the the distortion they put on his voice because it's almost exactly the same as ian holm correct it's it's lovely i i love that callback and yeah. he asks him like serve in heaven or reign in hell yeah. and walter's like hmm <laughs> and they they and just then yeah. cut away 
Cut away. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get uh, we have our the beacons down, and Danny Danny McBride is uh, bringing the shit down. He has almost no control over this this transport whatever they've got i don't know what his problem is but he is hanging on by a thread <laughs> uh walter so we have Wa- walter uh lope and daniels are the three surviving and they're trying to make their way to the ship they're making their way to the ship but there's also a xenomorph making its way to the ship um we've got uh we got a big old kerfuffle here. I didn't really take any notes through here. It's basically the xenomorph is on the transport, and Lope is pretty much useless. So it's up to uh, Daniels to get the to get the uh, xenomorph off, and Walter kind of helps out a little bit here. Um, yeah, there's there's some stuff that happens here that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about Walter now or wait till the end. I want to wait till the end. Um, okay. Wal- Walter, I mean, he just got into a fight, and he, he there's takes not- a backseat to most of what happens from here on out. Yeah, he doesn't really. There's not much for him to really do, I guess. I guess what they're trying to say, like they're just trying to escape. So they have. Uh, so Daniels is out there. She's harnessed to the ship, and she's basically. They're trying to like twist and turn and knock the xenomorph off you get a nice trailer shot of the xenomorph crawling um it it feels very video gamey because we're like throwing everything we have at it where it's like uh danny mcbride bride turns on the thrusters to try to burn it yeah she has a rifle so she's trying to shoot it it keeps skittering around and escaping um her this is like probably the moment when her uh her badass turn just kind of clicks like yeah I don't feel it was telegraphed very well at all. Um, basically, the thing jumps onto the, sh- the... I don't even know what kind of craft this is, but some kind of construction rig of some sort that has yeah. thrusters on it. But as soon as it jumps onto the thing, her reaction is to yell, Shit! Motherfucker! <laughs> right? It's like, where did this come from? Yeah, she cusses. She there, That was one thing that I wanted to make note of, is the... The, the use of language, like, the cursing in the movie is oddly timed in a few places. Anytime she's doing it, it's like, that just doesn't sound right. Yeah, she, like I said, this is like, from this moment forward, it starts to happen. It's like, mm, that doesn't seem right coming out of her. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, they try to shake the thing off. Uh, and then there's a couple of shots in here where she's hanging from a, she's hanging from like a winch cable that she's, strapped to this this rig with and uh ridley scott on the commentary said oh that's just fun <laughs> i was like what <laughs> he's like yeah i put these in here because i thought it was fun <laughs> i was like man that's that's really honest i guess so i guess there are a few stunts a few extraneous stunts in the sequence that he just wanted to put in because he liked them <laughs> not because it seemed appropriate uh but he liked it um, but yeah, we, it's very video gaming. Like I said, uh, we run through all of our options, including like axes and rifles, and then finally uh, we get the better of this alien because uh, there's an like an excavator arm attached to this this craft. Yeah. And uh, Daniels manipulates it and open opens the jaws of it, and it was kind of neat seeing the alien like attack the excavator because. It's, a, it's an animal like it sees a big threat and it's like ah fight or flight so it like attacks the excavator arm and then uh she uses it to squish the alien inside it and she, it, yeah. ble- it bleeds its acid everywhere and it is it is very much dead 
If so at this point, yeah. if you're seeing this movie for the first time and you're a fan of the Alien movies, you're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it killed exactly one person after it hatched and, and it's gone inside of 10 minutes? What the fuck? Um, oh yeah, by the way, uh, <laughs> uh, Lope asks Walter, like, how is it in regards to the hole in his face? And he says, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so we get back to the we do get back to the ship. Uh, everybody who escaped from the city is alive. Um, they put silly putty on Lope. Yeah, it's like green silly putty. Um, and I guess the idea is he's he's sedated and we'll uh, we'll take care of him later. In the meantime, uh, the silly putty should do its work. Um, did you notice the bird? Did you notice the, the bird thing? What bird thing? The thing on the table, like the. Like, oh, the Sippy Bird, yeah, yeah, on their uh, like their map computer console or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's a nod, nod to the original movie. Yeah, Sippy Bird. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so Walter and uh, Daniels have a little exchange here where he's stapling his face shut because he incurred some damage with his little scuffle with uh, David, and she's like, "I appreciate that you saved my life," and he's like, "Well, you're." pretty all right too because i'm an android and i'm not good at this whole expressions thing (laughs) uh yeah so yeah danny mcbride comes to her little area she's making some scrambled eggs and he's like do i gotta call you captain now and she's like fuck yes you do i'm like okay there's her other curse word (laughs) um but yeah like that they hugged right after that like because i mean over the course of the story they've both lost their significant others and it it felt like a thing that needed to happen. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, she's putting up this bravado of being like, yeah, fuck yes, I'm the captain. And then she's like, hold me. And he's like, oh, me too. <laughs> when, I was, when I was watching it this time, I was like, man, I wonder if he's, like, I knew he wasn't going to. I'm like, it'd really be, it'd really be stupid if he tried to hit on her right now. <laughs> Try to angle that. She's like, so I know, like, James Franco just, you know, burst into flames, like, the other day, but... Do I got a shot um. here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we get to um, she gets woken up. Uh, I guess yeah. everybody goes Mother, to sleep. So Danny McBride has a, a throwaway line here that's actually kind of important. Uh, he says that now that we're all back on the ship, uh, Mother is kind of fucked. Uh, our computer system that runs the whole fucking ship. Mm. Uh, I guess being too close to the, the storm at, like, the atmospheric storm uh, messed with our computer system. So he put mother on diagnostic. And he's like, oh, she'll be offline for a while, but we should get some rest in the meantime. So the idea here is that some time passed where this computer system was off. And now it's back. And it's saying, hey, hey, Cap, you better wake up. Some shit's going down. Because there is a foreign entity on board. Some sort of alien organism is on the ship. Huh, I wonder what kind of organism. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Uh, and then we we cut to the shot that bothers me. And this is something that really bothered me about this movie, even though it's it's like 0.01% of the movie. Um, as soon as she gets out of bed, we get a shot of her running down the hallway and Danny McBride standing in the foreground, and he just holds out a gun and yeah. she snatches it. And I was like, you are killing any semblance of tension in your film by having your characters constantly armed and like not only armed 
but in groups. Like, yeah. I don't think this alien ever f- encounters someone one on one. Well, not, yeah, not it, ever. An alien <laughs> not Sig- ever. Sigourney Weaver splits up with um, uh, Yafet Koto and uh, the other lady. I can't think of her name. Um, she they actually split up. Like they have to go get some tanks and stuff. They both don't make it, and she's off by herself. Yeah. Well, they had a plan. Yeah, they like, had a they, plan. No, they had a plan, and the only way to do it was to split up like that. And yeah. I mean. Yeah, it really bothered me in this film in particular that this alien never gets one-on-one time with anyone in this entire it's in its entire half hour of screen time if that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they they are armed up and they're going to go deal with this shit. Uh and what happens here is they navigate to the medical bay and then through the glass door they see that oh hey, Lope his chest exploded and there's blood everywhere. Uh so we can the characters and the audience know what's up at this point. Yeah. Uh, so they're asking Walter, who is like in the cockpit, I guess, uh, monitoring some computer systems. Like, hey, we need to find the alien. Where is it? And he's like, oh, it's uh, over by the hot people who are doing some slasher movie shit where they are fucking in the shower. Oh, that's yeah. That's what hot people do. <laughs> well, I mean, ever since they got out of the cryo sleep, they've been, like, they've just been at it working and shit. They haven't had a chance to bone, and now they're about to go back to sleep for a while. I mean, like, if Danny yeah, McBride wasn't there, they would have got to fucking a long time ago. But, <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but of course, yeah. he's there. <laughs> he never leaves. <laughs> he won't shut yeah. up about his wife. <laughs> yeah, the xenomorph just kind of sneaks into the shower with them and kills the both of them, obviously. Um, yeah, we only get to see jesse smollett get it through the mouth uh, it puts its second tongue through the back of his head and out his mouth it's pretty tasty but uh jillian hernandez uh, don't get to see what happens to her she just screams um it did feel like maybe a little bit of a callback to the first movie where it sticks its tail like between jesse smollett's legs kind of like the gal that was with the Koto. yeah um but yeah it's it's a it's a weird sequence because it, it makes sense from a ca- character standpoint but it's an alien film and you feel like are we really doing this like yeah. <laughs> we're doing shower scenes in our horror movies okay um and then tennessee uh Danny mcbride and uh, daniels walk in on the aftermath and instantly uh she comes up with a plan she's like yeah we're gonna corral this thing and we're gonna take it to quote my turf i'm like okay badass lady where did where the fuck did you come from where did you put daniels <laughs> like yeah right I, I like that really affable nice lady who's this who's this potty mouth lady with the goofy haircut <laughs> <laughs> with the really really bad haircut <laughs> so yeah the plan is uh they have guns they have a computer system that can tell them where the alien is so we're going to shut all the blast doors and cut off all of its options to corral it towards the terraforming bay, which is apparently Daniels' turf. Um, and the way this plan came together, I was like, oh my god, Like this worked. It worked 100%, perfectly. 100% flawlessly. Like, that's so unusual in these kinds of movies. Like Usually things go to shit. Like in Aliens, every plan they have goes to shit. Correct. And then they have to like improvise on the fly to make it work. But in this one, it's like, no, it just it just kind of worked. No, it worked perfectly. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Daniels lets loose a let's kill this fucker, um, which I got you, you son of a bitch. She just has a million of these, <laughs> like left and right. She keeps throwing them out there. 
Like she, she's just too friendly to pull off these lines. Like she's too nice looking. I'm like, it's, I'm not buying it. You're well, not a- it's not even that I don't buy it. It's just I don't. From what we knew about the character beforehand, it just doesn't quite feel like we're there. You know. Yeah. Like it, I, I didn't see the transformation happen. It just kind of happened. Um, but yeah, Kyle, you want to last like fill us in on what the plan is. In the yeah. Bay. So what they're gonna do is they're going to sacrifice one of their big rig, one of the big rigs. They're gonna clamp it because that's how they killed the last one. They're gonna clamp it in there and they're just gonna shoot this thing into space with the big, the big Tonka truck. Um, so they they have they have Walter. Uh, they have him like, hey, we need you to open up these open up these doors as we're going to make it go this way and he's doing it perfectly they get in their suits and they go get set up in the in the hangar bay and uh they're like all right let it through and thing comes in and uh, she makes noise and they got uh xenomorphs running around she gets into um this is like uh, the lost world jurassic park where ian malcolm is you know in the in Third the car reference. yeah <laughs> Is in the car, you know, trying to draw attention, and she locks it into the, she gets it into like a forklift or some shit like that, and um, they've got the the doors opening. They got like some kind of magnet magnet on their boots, like the like the prison and face off. Um, <laughs> they've got the, the boots holding them down, so they open up the door and they're starting to kick this thing out. But he gets, I think he gets loose out of there. They got to try to get him into something else. Um, so. Big Tonka trucks going out, and uh, I think they they shoot the Tonka truck out, and he jumps off into the ship again, and they end up or something gets stuck. We just have these problems. Some gets stuck, <laughs> um, but they he gets off of the first thing and he's jumping back on, and as the Xenomorph is coming back onto the the thing and is about to attack uh, Daniels, she just kind of drops down, and Danny McBride. Um, lets this other Tonka truck go and ends up going into space. And yeah, oh, and the construction vehicle impales the alien because it can't just push it; it has to impale it. It's, yeah, it's 2017. This is this is this is an expensive movie that needs to make its money back. So we need to get people to see it. Um, so yeah, it gets impaled on the construction vehicle and it falls out into space because that's apparently the only way you can kill an alien. Um, and yeah. Uh, it needs to be said, as chaotic as this scene was, um, the visuals of it are pretty gorgeous. Like, there's a lot of, like, space debris. Oh, yeah. Uh, as, soon, as, so, as soon as they open the bay doors, like, the sound drops out a couple of times because space. Yeah. And then there's, like, a lot of, like, metallic fragments in the air that catch the light in interesting ways. And it's really cool looking. But, yeah, it just works. It just came together too easily. Yeah. It's like, there's zero tension. Like well, the pro- zero. <laughs> well, the problem was getting off, like just was just getting out of there alive. But it wasn't even that big of a problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about Alien, uh, uh, the end of Alien, like she's about to get into her, get into her little tube, and then the alien made its way on there. So I mean, that whole sequence is like five minutes, five or six minutes. She takes it's, care of it pretty well. She takes care of it pretty well, but the tension leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Like she has to put on her spacesuit, and she's like every move she makes, they keep cutting back to the thing. It's like, is it gonna notice me? Is it gonna notice me? And it's it's very quiet and creepy, and you can tell like she had a plan 
but at the same time it's like I'm trapped not 10 feet away from this horrific thing that's killed everyone else I know on the ship and just the way it was edited it just it made it work and in fact like the whole time when she's running up and down the corridors like on the Nostromo like you know you almost never see the alien like she doesn't even know where it is half the time but she's terrified of it because she yeah. knows as soon like she has this little flamethrower thing but up until this point it's like i don't think it's ever shown to be effective against it <laughs> <laughs> no um so yeah uh danny mcbride goes to his little sleepy pod and uh looks like walter's gonna be taking over the ship and they're about to put um about to put Daniels in there, and I love this line that he gives. Uh, it's kind of uh, a little bit of duality in it. He's like, "You're next, Captain." Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like it, it's nice. So she gets put in there. She's like, "Good night, Walter." And she's got her little suit on. She's like, now she's like let her guard down. She's able to relax. <laughs> and we get. I love this. I really. I remember, this is what got me the first time I watched it because it has a legit horror movie ending. And uh, we get the, uh, are we going to, she's like, so we're going to build that, we're finally going to, we're actually going to get to build that cabin on the next planet. And Walter kind of looks at her like, what? (laughs) And she realizes that it's not Walter, it's David. And yeah. And he's (laughs) pretty bitching. And I like, I like what he does afterwards. He's like, play me some music. What would you like? He's like, oh, something, something, Valhalla, with the gods enter the garden or something well, like I that. Well, p- I actually put my nor- in my notes here. Of course they have him speak a bit of German, because Fassbender. It's perfect, yeah. <laughs> das yeah. Rheingold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It's the piece of music that he played in the very first scene in the movie, mm. um, on the piano at Wayland's command. Um, but, yeah, he tells her, don't let the bug- bed bugs bite. Don't let the bed bugs bite. <laughs> And uh, he goes off into the chamber with all the colonists in their in their cryo tubes, and then this epic Wagner music is playing, the entry of the gods into Valhalla, as you said. And uh, he opens the embryo uh, cabinets, though, and he starts up chucking. He has his own embryos that he stored in his stomach, apparently. Oh yeah, uh, of uh, xenomorphs or some sort of alien creature that he devised because. Being as it isn't born via facehugger, it's likely something related, but not the same. Uh, and he inserts them into these little holes, like, n- <laughs> next to the human embryos that are in cold storage. Uh, so this opens the door for all manner of awful things to happen in the future with this character, because now he is alone on a spaceship with many, many, many human bodies that he can fuck around with as much as he likes oh yeah and he has a couple of you know alien organisms that he brought along for the trip so this is all these colonists are at his mercy Uh, so if there is to be a sequel which it sounds like there very likely is to be uh, i'd imagine some bad shit's gonna happen to all these people (laughs) yeah so Um, yeah yeah it it is a good horror movie ending because it's it's revelatory it's like oh Fuck, and it does make uh, subsequent viewings of the film just a little bit more interesting. Because yeah. Because that transition point when David becomes Walter, if you're, if you are familiar, if you do know that you should be paying attention to him, 
they give you a lot of evidence. Like, yeah. that if if you are paying close attention, you will notice. Like, um, that's why I asked if you wanted to spoil things right up front, because um, when uh, when they're on the ship trying to leave the planet, like during the first xenomorph attack, uh, there's a lot of things happening with Walter that's just like hang on what if it's so chaotic that of course nobody would notice like for instance lope is having to tell him to give him medical attention it's like walter's programmed to help of course he would see a, a hole in a man's face and do something about it well you should and notice then, like, when he's Mc- yeah. he's stapling his face back together i'm like he should be healing himself why does he exactly. need yeah I, I didn't. I definitely did not notice it the first time, and then going back now, I'm like, oh, it's right there in front of you, and and that's what I liked about going back now. It was like watching his character. I'm like, you see it so like it makes his character creepier this time around, which I thought made it a more enjoyable experience this time. Um, yeah, and the the most obvious tells are like there's a scene where the xenomorph on the Covenant uh, takes out a security camera, and walter slash david is watching it happen and his reaction is to is to react like yeah. he has a dramatic reaction to it and it's like what we know of walter suggests he wouldn't be shocked by that he'd just be like okay that happened but david is more expressive and even like little things like i i think walter's capable of smiling like they have a, a crew photo together where he has a bit of a smile but like when when he's patching up his face and Daniels offers to help, he does give like a smile. It's like, hmm. <laughs> it's like he's a little too appreciative. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that was Alien Covenant. Uh, I I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just it's to me. It's like I don't know what this contributed to the the Alien series. It as a follow up to the David story. It's very good. Yeah, like, there's some there's some f- good fast bending in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, but in terms of like alien movie stuff, it feels like they do a disservice to the to the iconography of the creature in a lot of ways. It doesn't really contribute anything. I feel like it mucks things up a bit, asks more questions than answers. But I don't know how you said your second viewing of it was much better than the first. Yeah, the first viewing I was just like, and eh, I didn't really care for it too much. I appreciated it much more going back this time. Um, I'll probably rewatch it eventually. Um, yeah, no, I it, would definitely include it. Like if I was watching all the Alien movies, I wouldn't like skip it or anything. Um, yeah, I I I think it hold. I think it held up better than I thought it would. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about this one because I, I know this one's been on the table pretty much since we started doing these. But, yeah. Um, that being said, uh, thank you for joining us as we caught up on cinema. Yeah. Um, tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>